Comic Timing is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 193 of Comic Timing, a comics podcast devoted to the average comic book fan from the average comic book fan. Join in as Brent Casino, rotating panel of guests, and myself, Ian Levison, discuss whatever comes to mind, time after time, here on Comic Timing. We're a little bit more rotating than usual this week, as Donovan Morgan Grant and returning guest Bob Bratall come and tell us all about their San Diego Comic-Con experience. We also touch on the James Gunn controversy and a little bit of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Here now, Comic Timing. Hey there, folks. My name's Ian Levinstein, and welcome to episode 193 of Comic Timing. Brent, you here. Hey, Brent. Hey, I'm here. Yo, yo. How's stuff? How's life? Life's good. 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 Good to hear it. Good to hear it. Donovan's back, too. Hey, Donovan, what's going on, man? Fuck Batman. <laughs> oh, so... Oh, no. oh, good. Oh, good. We get that right off the start here. That's great, man. Ugh. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about that travesty later on in this episode. <laughs> oh, lordy. Uh, here's hoping that was the worst of the best and that the rest of that show is good because, oh, I do not have good start on that one uh and mr bob bretzall joining us for the first time and i don't even know how long but welcome back to the show bob hey guys far too long most definitely most definitely you you still podcast uh, occasionally with rick right it's been a really long time rick uh, went back to school or something and you know we used to do it we do it in kind of fits and starts mm-hmm. you know it's like at some point you know he'll start doing it and we'll do it for three or four months in a row and then I won't hear from him for six to nine months I'm in the I'm in that six to my nine month uh, dry spell of hearing the dulcet uh, charming tones of Mr. Rick Gordon <laughs> he ran he randomly posted to my wall on Facebook about like two weeks ago like like Ian I made your favorite wheat cakes so at least I know he's okay <laughs> yeah I, I I message him you know like text message and stuff yeah. but it's just been a long too long since i talked to him well if there's one person who knows about uh, having uh, to fit life and podcasting into the same bubble it is i so i 100 percent understand that um but uh yeah we're, we're back here uh for the first time in a couple of weeks and uh somewhat timely as we're recording this as san diego comic-con is said and done and uh that just happened uh about two days ago, we're recording this on a Tuesday. It finished up on Sunday, um, and I want to talk about your guys' joint experiences because uh, Donovan and Bob, you got the chance to actually be there while Brent and I just watched the trailers and read the news. Um, so, Bob, since I mean you haven't been on the show in the longest, uh, let me know what your experience was like and uh, how this compares to previous years because I know I know you're you're usually at San Diego. My twenty ninth year. Wow. Oh my God! So next. Oh gosh, really? Next year is yeah. the milestone. Yeah, that's right. It's the next year is the fiftieth Comic Con, and it'll be my thirtieth, given that I get a badge, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is never a guarantee, yeah, right? I, so, yeah, definitely. Um, um but how to how to go? A, I have a weirdly atypical experience at Comic Con for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. One of them is I'm one of the really bizarre people who go to Comic-Con for comic books. What? Uh, yeah. What? <laughs> there are those. <laughs> you know, and people, it's, you know, every year around Comic-Con time, I have to, like, I always get online and I'm fighting off people who say, well, there are no comics at Comic-Con. And it's like, well, you know, if you don't think there's comics at Comic-Con, you're probably 
haven't been there, or if you've been there, you haven't really looked too hard for mm-hmm. them. Because the problem with being on the outside of Comic-Con looking in is it's just comics are not what the media really posts about. Right. You know, they, they show everyone in a costume. They show all the Hollywood stuff. They show the actors. And because that's what people, general public, is interested in. They They know the movies. They know the TV shows. They like seeing people in costumes. Um, I don't know about you, Donovan, but like whenever, you know, for 29 years, it's like every time I go, if somebody hears you're going to Comic-Con, they're like, well, what are you dressing up as? And my answer is me. (laughs) I don't dress up as it. But, you know, you see it on the news and it's always just all these people in costumes that they corral up. I mean, Donovan, you were there. How? What was the? What would you up a gut feel percentage of people wearing a costume at Comic? Oh, oh. Um. Well, I've I've made sure to re- recognize on Wednesday. It's kind of a low volume. It's like you know, it's kind of just because I always get there on Wednesday preview night. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really get going till Thursday. Um, for the whole con, I would average out. I would say at least forty percent uh, cosplay. That high? I, I really don't think it's that high. I mean, really? when you're walking down an aisle, like four out of the ten people around you are in costumes. Mm-hmm. Maybe thirty. I think it's more like ten percent. Okay. Really? If well, I threw in people wearing t-shirts or maybe just a funny hat <laughs> or something, maybe it would get up around thirty or forty percent. But I mean, I mean, t- Well, I guess if I added in t- comic book t-shirts, it'd be closer to eighty percent. Yeah. It just oh, yeah. it doesn't seem like that many people are actually wearing like full on cosplay costumes. You know, that's um, fair. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I haven't been since since two thousand nine. Um, but I know that uh, when I was there, uh, that I, that was about the ratio that I would put that as well. I mean, it it takes a lot of time and effort to put a costume together, and even yeah. even, even if the media likes to paint it as you know. That's the experience. It's like, hey, everybody's there in in their in their costumes. They everybody brings three different costumes and they're wearing them three different days or four different days. In re, in the reality, it's a lot more just you know people their their favorite silly nerd uh, t shirt. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, you yeah. get a lot of that. You get you know you get hats. You get you know someone might have like maybe their backpack looks like cap shield mm-hmm. or you know you know these various things that you buy sure or maybe someone's in a like really subtle one like they'll be you know holding some doctor who sonic screwdriver or something in their hand and they're wearing <laughs> i guess it's almost cosplay if they're wearing like a doctor suit or something but yeah. some crap like that <laughs> well most people when i look around me at least when i'm around it's just they they don't seem to be dressed up but right for me the panels is, you know, the heart and soul of this con yeah. because there are literally hundreds of, of different panel programming. And when you get to the panels, most people think of Hall H and, you know, some of the big Marvel and DC ones where it's like, oh, they show the lines. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's people camping overnight to get in and all this. Well, that's true if you want to go see. Chris Hemsworth, the size of a tiny little action figure, a hundred yards away <laughs> when you're at the back of the six thousand person hall or right. you know, like that. But I, I go to comic book related panels. I went to twenty one panels this year. Oh and wow. They were pretty much all about comic book stuff. And 
most of those, I, I don't think I really stood. I stood in like maybe two lines because the panel before mine was full. Mm-hmm. I was, it was great. I mean, I saw Mike Mignola. I saw Simon Bisley, Joe Casada, and Jimmy Palmiotti. That was one of the more crowded panels. But, you know, just lots of different things with comic book creators in them. And I have a great time when I'm there. I, I like seeing the different people who make the comics and a little more so than the Hollywood stuff, because, you know, when I get home from Comic-Con, just like everyone else, I like sat down and I like watched <laughs> the Walking Dead panel on YouTube because right. they recorded it and it was up on YouTube. Sure. And yeah. I didn't have to stand in a line to see the Walking Dead panel with all those guys. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of my choice, but I think, Different people can have different experiences there. I'm sure Donovan, your your con and mine were probably very different from one another's, um, based on like just the number of lines we stood in, and um, you know what different kind of things we did. And everyone who goes there can have you know their own kind of custom experience. Yeah, totally. The reason I get I managed to get out there is because I actually I I get there as press. I mainly go as an outlet for the Batman universe, but I also do work for Earth2.net, and I we actually get you know interviews with the writers and stuff, or when we can. This year was actually pretty tough, and as as press, I can get get some cool things. I was actually able to go to the Doctor Who panel in Hall H and be in the press cage. Oh, nice! Uh, yeah, and I did the same thing for Dragon Ball Super. <laughs> uh, so like uh, that's the bulk of a lot of my experience. I've been doing this since, since uh, 2011, mm-hmm. um, but even though you know it is kind of like a work vacation because there's a lot of stuff we do have to kind of cover and in the next couple of days I need to kind of you know write down and kind of you know dictate in um, written form <sighs> what I did. I do go there for like um like, like I love the cosplay stuff. I love um you know kind of seeing the deals which I kind of didn't tend to do on Sunday. Seeing like like if I'm going there with some other press to interview a Batman thing, I kind of want to also see, you know, I make sure I get to get get into the Steven Universe stuff. Right. Um. So it is kind of like you know maximum, you know, interest explosion because I don't. The only other conventions I've ever been to have been like um, Middle Tennessee Anime Con like twice, mm-hmm. and I've only been there like like very very briefly. Uh. So. The majority of my kind of convention, uh, kind of fan familiarity is with San Diego Comic Con, which I know does have a very like you know reputation of kind of being shallow and more corporate in in Hollywood or whatever, and that might be true. But I mean, it's it's been nothing but positive every year, even you know with its ups and downs. So um, yeah, my mine tends to be a little bit more um, kind of uh, goal oriented and kind of a little bit more business uh, minded, but at the same time, it's also, I, I, I kind of just nerd out and make sure I can kind of, you know, uh, flirt with everything, every one of my interests when it comes to like, you know, anime, comics, right. um, cartoons, all that kind of stuff. Well, since, since you brought up anime, uh, and, and I mean, this is a little bit of a segue, uh, but at slash rant, but we'll get back to San Diego. It was announced uh, about, uh, about a week and a half ago uh, that, uh, you know, my hometown con, New York Comic Con, um, is going to be trying to yet again uh, run Anime Fest, which is was their big uh, anime convention uh, that Reed Exhibitions was running out of the Javits for years. Uh, they then merged it back into New York Comic Con, and uh, then uh, basically it just disappeared into it into you know like an anime programming block more than anything else. It's been announced that they're going to wind up having 
Anime Fest be its own thing the same weekend as New York Comic Con? You have to pay. Mm. You have to pay extra in order to get in, and the venue is like a twenty-minute bus ride from the Javits. Uh, it, it's it's at Pier ninety four, which uh, Big Apple Com was at a couple of year, uh, a couple of times, and they somehow think this is a good idea. I'm not quite sure that they realize, or maybe they do, and they're hoping for the best here. Just how much crossover there is between anime fandom and comic and comic fandom, um, which is why people I think like to have it all in one package or just have them be entirely separate. But having it be the exact same weekend as the con is going to be essentially splitting loyalty, and I, I'm not thrilled about it. Um, I personally do not have to worry about it because I have the professional pass this year, which means that I, I get automatic entry, but it's still a ginormous pain in the ass to be like, okay, do I want to do comic stuff today or do I want to do anime stuff today? Like, you, you literally have to make that choice. And for the regular fan, you got to make the choice of like, do I want to pay the extra 25 to to go to that particular con along with what I already paid for? Um, that sounds fantastic. How do I get Mega Convention to do that? Oh, God. <laughs> It's, a, it's an interesting dilemma, you know, Ian, because it's. Yeah. I can see both sides of that argument. The people who who complain at San Diego Comic Con about it being trying to, you know, be too much and all things to all people, mm-hmm. that's the same kind of thing. I've heard people say, well, they should split it and right. have it be, you know, Comic Book Con and then take the Hollywood stuff and put it over here someplace else. But a lot of people that I know, I mean, if they're they like all these different kind of things. And most, most people that I, I know actually do go for that kind of thing where right. they're not just going for pure comic book panels. You yes. know, they like to see, Oh, I'm going to go see some comic book panels, but then I'm also going to see, you know, some panels with, with other stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's the the big thing. And if they split it, then people would have to kind of make that choice, especially putting the venues so far apart seems yeah. really not that great. It, it, you know, for, for, for certain cities, this would make sense for New York, which which in general has very spread out, you know, convention space. It, it doesn't it, it, there's only so much you can work with. And I think I think they would be much better off having it just be another weekend and running it that way. Plus, this also feels like a response to the fact that a, a new convention popped up about uh, about a year ago called Anime NYC, which is run out of the Javits and did really well in its first year and is going to be, um, I think, a mu- about a month after New York Comic Con. And it feels like they're trying to sort of steal the thunder, which reminds me of the time when Big Apple Comic Con tried to schedule itself the same weekend as New York Comic Con. It, like yeah. it, it's just it, it feels like it feels like history repeating itself in some ways. Like they're trying to bite each other's tails off. It's uh, it's 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 an interesting situation. But either 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 way, I think I've decided that I'm gonna that I'm gonna back the anime NYC trail on that and just do New York Comic Con <coughs> and maybe I'll walk over to to there uh, to experience that at least a little bit. But it's it it still feels like they're ghettoizing it a little bit. And Brent, I know you I know you're perfectly okay mm. with that because you're not much of an anime guy. <laughs> no, I'm not much, not much at all. <laughs> what, what were your What were your highlights news wise uh, for for the weekend, uh, Brent? Anything uh, like stick out to you immediately? Um, I thought the Aquaman trailer was way better than it probably deserved to be. Mm-hmm. Um, 
comic book news? I didn't see much. I saw like Batman's getting the trunks back, which is like okay, duh. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Hooray! Bob is happy. I was, I was kind of. I always thought it was a little I, weird I don't really that nobody care one way or another on what Batman's costume looks like. Uh, okay, exactly. Right. One, one what thing, about Superman? Costume, costume wise, though, on the the Aquaman trailer, I thought it was okay. But given that my wife is a redhead and I've got like red. Mira's hair looked like just a really cheap cosplay wig <laughs> to me in that trailer. It's, it's definitely a wig. I mean, it's sure. just like, you know, shocking scarlet red. And it's just like, yeah, you know, the reason that they made hair that color in like 1960 is because they didn't have the capability to make red hair look like an actual redhead's hair. You know, it's just like. Yeah. It, 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 felt like, it felt like the Medusa wig all over again from Inhumans. Yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. Ooh, that's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shazam really worked for me out of all of them. Mainly for just how freaking fun it felt. It definitely felt like it was capturing the feel and personality of the of the character. Aquaman was good, but it just felt like another superhero movie to me. Like there nothing really stood out as like amazing. Shazam feels like it's going to actually be a little bit of a different personality than what we've gotten recently, whether it be Marvel or DC. Um, I'll be curious how Shazam plays with the general public because I showed the those trailers to my wife, who mm-hmm. is totally not a comic book person. Yeah, and she thought the Shazam one looked stupid and goofy. Interesting. Okay. He's like, why is he dancing around like that? Why is he acting that way? Because <laughs> he's fourteen. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you understand that. Yeah. Um, I guess you're supposed to, but Captain Marvel was not 13 going on 30 um, 20 years ago. Right. You know, it wasn't like the little kid Billy Batson in Captain Marvel's body. It was, he became Captain Marvel. That was kind of like when he'd get the wisdom of Solomon and these other things kind of prevented him from just acting like a goofy little kid. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's kind of fun to play off that, you know, Tom Hanks in big jennifer garner and 13 going on 30 i'm probably dating myself because all those movies are way before your guys time too <laughs> yeah, but, i've uh, seen both I love but, Jason jennifer know, garner yep. and that's kind of like a, a fun thing i guess but it just like when a civilian sees that and he's kind of like prancing around a little bit mm-hmm. um it's like uh she she was unimpressed <laughs> just say it that way fair enough yeah it's not gonna be everybody's cup, cup of tea that, that much i'm sure yeah uh, what, what, you, I mean, you went to a ton of panels, Bob. What, what, what were some of the, of the standouts for you? Oh, wow. You know, I went to a lot of really good panels. <laughs> you remember Comics Buyer's Guide? Yeah. Ian? Mm-hmm. So Maggie, the first panel I went to was Maggie Thompson and um, Mark Evanier and R.C. Harvey and various people talking about Comics Buyer's Guide and reminiscing about that. Oh, wow. Um, that was great. Um, I went to uh, Joe Jusco's spotlight panel. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. I went to one that was run by uh, the guys from 2000 AD, but it was a treasury of British comics. And it was always something I didn't know that much about. And But it was really interesting because, they, you know, in Britain they publish all these comics. And when uh, 2000 AD bought out the library of Fleetway, I guess they were saying, they ended up with bound weeklies of comics that um, that they had published, and he had to make bookshelves to put them on. He said he had 90 linear meters of shelves to hold the comics, and he said 
pretty much all of them have not been seen since the week they were first published. Oh, wow. And it's like, man, (laughs) it's amazing. And um, subsequently, I went down to their booth and bought some of these, you know, British comics that I had never seen before. And they're actually pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to the 20th anniversary of Marvel Knights. Uh, you know, Jimmy and Joe were talking about that. And mm-hmm. if, if you remember that from 1998, oh, sure. that really was what rescued Marvel from the, um, you know, leather jacket and pouch era <laughs> and kind of put them on the road to, you know, kind of getting the credibility back that, that they have today. And it's also the, the area that they're mining for a lot of these uh, Netflix series and even like the Black Panther movie. Definitely. Um, yeah. yeah. The, 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 I mean, I mean, we would, uh, it would be a very different landscape today had, had Marvel Knights not happened, had, had they not changed course over at Marvel. I mean, for one thing, I honestly don't even really know if there would have even been an Iron Man movie um, had right. that, had that happened. Yeah. yeah. It, it was amazing. You know, there were, there were others. I mean, I always go to uh, every year that Mark Evanier runs something called, well, he used to do, it was a golden age panel. And then a lot of the, those creators all kind of passed away. And then he had a silver age panel. Um, you know, time marches on. What he has now is called that 70s panel, <laughs> kind of a take on that 70s show. Uh-huh. And this year he had uh, Marv Wolfman and Wendy Peeney and... Uh, Rick Hoberg, Steve Lealoa, and Elliot S. Magan on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just kind of reminisce about, you know, crazy stuff and tell stories about, you know, the 70s in comics. Nice. Um, went to spotlights on Mike Mignola and Jeff Lemire, um, Simon Bisley, um, or Bisley, not exactly sure. There was a Steve Ditko uh, tribute uh, panel. Mm-hmm. Um, Damn, I was looking for that. I, I just knew there had to be something about that. It basically they it, he he passed away too close to the con for it to uh, to them for them to totally change the schedule. IDW repurposed the artists edition panel. They spent like the first five minutes of that given a couple of artist edition announcements, and then they switched over to a slideshow with like about you know hundreds and hundreds of pieces of Ditko art on it. And uh, then just people talking about Paul Levitz was there and Steve mm-hmm. Lealoa and some others. And they were just talking about Steve Ditko. Nice. Um, and, you know, just things like that. There was a Jack Kirby uh, uh, spotlight on his art and his influence and they had some artists on the panel that were talking about how Jack Kirby influenced their art. So that was a little different take on, uh, on that. I went to one panel that was really cool because I always try to go to some of these that are just things that I don't have that much exposure to. Mm -hmm. So that was like that British comic one. And I was really fascinated by it. I went to one called outlaw art, the trials of underground comics. And they had, these guys who were, you know, they they made like the first issue of Zap Comics, and you know, it was like, and other comics that I, I don't know if you're like a PG show that I probably can't even say the names of. Nah, um, but go nuts, honestly. Uh, so Joyce Farmer 
Um, she's like this 80 year old woman and she was the co-founder of tits and clits <laughs> hearing this 80 year old woman. She's like, oh yeah, we made this magazine called tits and clits oh and, my and talking about it. And it's like, Whoa, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just, but it's funny though, because you know, for young people, you know, you're going to get old if you're lucky. Right. And and we can't forget that these people who are 80 were our age at one point and you know they weren't always 80 and you know they were fighting you know these guys they were fighting the good fight back in the early 70s you know they're talking about getting harassed by local police and the FBI for you know trying to sell their underground comics and intellectual freedom and all this kind of stuff and it was fascinating to hear these guys you know, this kind of context, you just don't get that um, a lot of places. Um, yeah. Just yeah. These, these kind of, I went to a panel that was criminally under attended. It was called Artists Who Write. Okay. It was maybe about 200 people in the room. Let me tell you who was on this panel. <laughs> you can tell me how many people should have been there. <laughs> Dave Gibbons. Oh, my God. Gibbons. Watchman, right? Raphael Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. Wendy Peeney. Joel Jones and Frank Miller. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I was sitting in like, the front row. You know, there was like hardly anybody in there because it wasn't called, hey, come see Frank Miller. It was called Artists Who Write. And they were talking about, you know, both working with other creators and then, you know, how that compares to like working solo and mm-hmm. doing kind of your own thing. That, you know, th- those are just, my favorite panels at cons, Bob. The one the ones that that either slip through the cracks or or are ones that are just more creator focused than anything yeah. else. Because you get some of the best stories out of that. Yeah, you know, and there's another panel I do every year at Con called Cover Story, the Art of the Cover. It's another one that Mark Evanier runs. And what they do is they get four or five artists up there. This year they had uh, William Stout, Veronica Fish, Matt Taylor, Joel Jones, and Joe Jusco. And what they do is they pick like four or five covers. Mark usually has some friend of his who's not really that into comics, just kind of do a web search and pick like four or five just random covers by that artist. Mm -hmm. And then he has them sit in the front row of the audience and he projects up these covers and has them talk about what were their design decisions, you know, how do they like how the cover came out, how do they like how, you know, maybe they put like some logo or, you know, cover copy or something obscuring part of the art, you know, things like that. And it's just fascinating to hear, you know, like uh, Joel Jones is like, man, I hate this cover. <laughs> I really didn't know what I was doing when I did this one. And, you know, things like that. And they're kind of critiquing their own work and talking about each other's work. It's just it's a fascinating panel to watch. Sure. Yeah. They're critiquing Frank Miller's modern artwork. Yeah, it, Frank wasn't on that particular panel, but you know they're, <laughs> they're talking about their own personal things. But it was it was kind of really really cool. Um, went to the Len Wein uh, Memorial Pro Fan mm. Trivia Challenge. Mm. Uh, Paul Levitz like blew away uh, most other people, but you know some of the questions were like about stuff that happened when he was the publisher of DC Comics. So if he didn't know the answer, uh, it was going to be a problem. <laughs> I know there was also a, a tribute to Harlan Ellison at the uh, you know, con. There, there was, and 
criminally, it was at the exact same time as the Len Wein panel, ah. and they were on opposite ends of the convention center. And this it. was Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what, it, it, at the end of the four-day con, you've been to San Diego before, right? You know how big yes. that convention center is? Oh, it's huge. So. Yeah. The cover story art of the cover was way down on the Hall H side of the convention center. Mm -hmm. And that ended, and the next panel was either Len Wein or Harlan Ellison. The Len Wein one was like two rooms down on the H side, and the Harlan <laughs> Ellison one was all the way on the other side of the convention center. And my knees were, you know, it's like, okay, I think I'm going to go to the Len Wein one. Oh, please. Probably. Yeah. No, you, you you need you need a, a teleporter in order to get to certain yeah. panels at, at the at the right time at that convention center. It is very very large. And then there's the ones that are off site at the at the hotels and, and yeah. so much happening in a weekend. It's hard to do every single thing. But that's the that's the thing about that con, and it's it gives such a rich choice. You know, so many choices that people can make, and you know, people have to make those choices. But just the fact that at any given point in time, I could pick between four or five comic book panels, a you know, a one or two or three Hollywood kind of panels, mm -hmm. uh, you know, anime of some sort or another, um, <laughs> panels about being a creator or about the creative process, panels, you know, fan oriented panels about topics like cosplay or, you know, all other kinds of things about the history of comics and all these different things. It's just like, it's amazing the, the breadth and depth of different topics that they manage to um, get out there for people. And then that is totally aside from you go down on the floor and every, pretty much every major comic book pu publisher, pretty much all the mid tier comic book <laughs> publishers. And then, you know, probably about another 40 or 50 small press and indie guys and creators, and then just like hundreds and hundreds of other creators down there, plus all the, you know, they probably had about 50 or 60 comic book dealers, um, you know, people selling toys, toy companies, video game companies, original art dealers. Boy, there's just so many choices to make there you can be you're busy all day every day and every minute you're making choices on what you want to do yeah definitely and, and how you want to spend your time absolutely and uh donovan did you make it to any uh like comic panels at all or or were you mainly just there for for your press stuff um i made it to the batman family panel okay uh, where they announced that Batman was getting his classic co costume back, which I was ge I genuinely like because I I don't like his puzzle pajamas looking suit from like the New Fifty Two. I just <laughs> I, I just found it very distracting. So I'm all for like the Jim Lee suit. I like um, I like the more like recent the one. It's a decent look, but like honestly, I kind of need something to to I kind of need to be directed to his crotch in some way. <laughs> wow, <frankly>. don't. <laughs> I, I I do I personally do. Uh, I I I need to be underwear. Otherwise, it's just. It looks like he's wearing pajamas. Um, I like the purple cape, but like, uh, well, and I like. What I like are you color. wearing? Are you wearing pants? <laughs> Would you like to know? You're wearing shorts. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't. I know. I know. I get the circus strongman stuff with like Superman and Batman. I, I understand the history of it. I just mm -hmm. never understood the need to. You know the. I mean the Superman. The argument I think from Jamal I read on Facebook one time was like it needs to break up the blue. 
I was like, that's what the, isn't that what the belt is for? I don't know. It depends on the belt, though. Like, like su- Superman's, su- Superman specifically, his new 52 costume, it just, the, there was nothing to break it up whatsoever. Um, when they redesigned it and they, and they, uh, and they brought that, you know, second Superman back, that will, I like wa- the Superman Reborn one. Yes, I thought that was a really strong costume. So did I, and I would have been perfectly okay with them keeping that, but nostalgia's nostalgia. Uh, I like the, uh, the more recent, uh, Batman uh, outfit, not the original New 52 one, but the actual Rebirth outfit. That sure. worked. That mm-hmm. worked really well for me, um, and I and I'd be perfectly okay with that. But if there's one thing we know about Batman is that his costume changes once every every blue moon. You know, like whenever yeah. whenever the hell they feel like changing it, they do. Uh, you know, same with Iron Man. Same with uh, with all the all all the different characters that have had so many. Robin, I mean, specifically Tim Drake. Tim Drake's costume feels like it changes every other three days now, and <laughs> you know, like, like we, 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 they're they're not set on a look or a style, and uh, it, I understand why they're trying to go a little bit more traditional here for now, but who knows how long that's gonna last. You know, once well, they said that like the reason why he was going back, and they, and they said like this is not the first time he's wearing this. Like, like he's going back to an older costume because. Uh, you guys read Batman Fifty, right? Uh, I know enough about it. I I haven't, yes. I haven't read the whole thing. Well, he's 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 in his feelings and wants to kind of uh, not be reminded of what he was wearing during like the recent air stuff. So he's mm-hmm. you know he wants to be reminded of good times. You know, so he so he went. You know, Hush was pretty fun. Let me wear that costume. I want to uh, be alone. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I, I mean, I'm, you Hush know. was pretty fun when he thought Jason Todd <laughs> could come back to haunt him. <laughs> Every time Batman swings by that rooftop, he's just gonna be bursting into tears now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's better Chad, than talking bad, about his dead Chad, parents bad. every every eight seconds. Like that's that's better than that, right? Well, I was yeah, saying like that like the, the the reaction to like the costume uh, resurgence was rather kind of muted. But mm-hmm. I mean, I wanted to like, hoop and holler because I'm that kind of guy. But like it was it wasn't as rapturous as like the I remember like when they announced Superman getting the underpants back. That was a gigantic deal, and I was shocked when they did that. Well, I think people care more about Superman's costume for some reason than Batman's. I guess because he's a, he makes it, he's a tech billionaire. Superman's costume as much. That's true. You know? Yeah. I mean, they changed. They made a bunch of changes back around the death of Superman, but Superman's costume has been fairly consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Batman has had so many interpretations because he has just so many more different, you know, mini series and Elseworld sure. series and different cartoon yeah. series and movies and all of these things and. The costume seems to be different in almost every one of them. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, he's not Iron costume. Man. Uh, there's there's an ethos to the costume, and I think that like, I I, I kind of get the sense that like DC was just ashamed of like uh, all the underwear jokes from people who didn't read comics, so they changed it. So I'm, I'm just glad that like they're not seeming to care about that anymore. Yeah, personally, <laughs> um, but but that, that was really that was really it. Like um, in terms of comic book panels, uh, I went to like the. Um, Supergirl 84 Blu-ray panel. I actually watched that movie for the first time this, uh, like a couple days before the panel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's pretty bad. Oh, it's awful. Uh, it, it, it is yeah, so it, bad. <laughs> it, really, it really, I mean, I, I wasn't hating on it, but I was, I was surprised how bad it was. Um, it, it's just about as, I, I'd say on the bad spectrum, it is just about as bad as Superman 4. Um, it's, it, it is an era where they did not put really any money into the productions and it shows 
well, even the writing is just is like she's she dithers around and wastes time yeah. when her planet is dying for like an hour. Like, like I don't know. But but um, did they did they touch on the fact that they 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 changed? She started wearing that headband in the comics because they told the because the movie people told them that she was going to be wearing a headband in the movie, and then when the movie came out, she wasn't even wearing a damn headband. Uh, Helen Slater said that like. Um, I don't know if she had she had a veto on this. I think that was like her first film. Mm-hmm. But she said that she personally did not like the headband costume. Okay. And they just went to the more classic look. And you know, and she was destroyed by the anti monitor in that costume. But uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, um, but besides that, I, I'm not. Sure. I'm trying to think. Uh, in terms of panels, I tried and failed to get in the Spider Man panel. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried again. I, I tried and failed to get into like, the X Men animated series panel. Okay. Uh, so there were there were a lot of like um. Uh, whiffs, but uh, yeah, I think I think this year was. I, I mainly recall the like the Doctor Who one, the the DB Super one, uh, Bat- the Batman Family one. I went to a writing panel, um, and I think the rest was um, uh, press stuff, which I could talk about in a little later. Yeah, definitely. But you didn't have trouble getting into the uh, the writing panel. Yeah, that was that was on Sunday with like uh, the Winter Twins, who I'm not really familiar. Oh, with. okay, that's yeah, that's. Yeah, it, it was more like kind of novel writing than like comic book writing. Okay, yeah. So that's, that's an interesting thing with the the con. Like the of the hundred and fifty thousand people there, you know, I'd say we. I was talking about this with people. And we had at our. We usually have a dinner on Sunday night. bunch of bunch of us Saturday night rather, and you know, we were curious about how many people at Comic Con actually were comic fans and i think we settled in somewhere around 40 to 50 Mm percent of people there and then of that 40 to 50 percent of those people who are comic fans the ones who are primarily superhero comic fans is probably you know at least 70 percent of that you know, so that knocks you down even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a result, and, and then even among everybody who's there, most people have, um, you know, split interests. So, you know, they're there and they like comics and they like superhero comics. Maybe they also read image comics. They'll read some of the IDW stuff. But then they also like Doctor Who. They also like, you know, the different movies. So, you know, they have to always make these choices on you know, they want to go see some of these panels, some of those. But the Marvel and DC panels are always pretty crowded. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to go see a panel that's about an individual creator, it's pretty easy to walk into those panels. You know, there's not any lines. Right. Uh, or if there's anything that's an even slightly obscure topic, uh, there's really no problem getting into those. <laughs> but, you know, if it's Spider-Man or X-Men... Boy, you better get there an hour before and and get in line. Or have, have you? Are you familiar with uh, the term panel camping? Yes. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the that's the other thing. It's just like the what I notice is the only time like some obscure panel that I go to is like really crowded is when the next panel is <laughs> you know got like I went to see one panel that was a spotlight on Scott Hampton. You familiar with with who he is? Uh, no, actually, it doesn't he ring does, a bell. 
he does he's like an artist he does painted art he's actually one who's actually painting the uh, american god series right now from dark horse mm-hmm. um, over layouts by p craig russell you know adapting the neil gaiman uh novel got it um fabulous artist um i went to his panel last year and there were maybe 15 people in the room and what he did was he just said, oh, there's not that many people here. And he just like pulled out pages of his fully painted original art and just like started handing them around the audience for us to look at. Oh, wow. Uh, and his his uh, girlfriend was there and she is kind of, you know, just keeping an eye on, you know, nobody got up and bolted for the door or anything. <laughs> um, this year, the room was much, much fuller. And he had him just kind of up on the stage and he could walk up and look at it. But it turned out Jim Lee was in the room in the panel right after his. So the room was totally packed, but they were all there just panel camping for Jim Lee. Of course. Um, of course. But very interesting. Well, you can't, you, you can't do that for Hall H anymore, right? Because I know I know that they have the uh, the, the like the wristband set up for that. Uh, although I think I think once you're in, you can stay in. If I remember, yeah, correctly. you can stay in. I think yeah. that's pretty much the thing with Hall H. People who do Hall H, they just get in as early in the day as they can, and they right. just spend the whole day in there. Yeah, you know, they bring a bag of food, and you know, there's bathrooms. <laughs> you don't have to leave Hall H. There's bathrooms that you can get to. Without having to leave the hall, and they're just in there the whole day. I still remember back in 2007, before Hall H was a thing, really. Like, uh, just basically walking in, I think it was during the, uh, uh, which which one was it at that point? Um, I I think it was, uh, well, whatever, we we walked in for for another... uh, panel that was going on and then immediately afterwards was the marvel panel and i got to see the original footage for iron man uh just you know and it completely blew my mind at the time and again like this was before there was really like that much camping for hall h literally by 2009 it you you had to you know be online a day before in order to get in but when i was there that that wasn't the case I used to go to Hall H all the time back in the old days, you know, be you could just if there was a panel, oh, I want to see, you know, something about, you know, the Mystery Men movie, which was a I was going there when that was if you remember that movie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, and, you know, I just walked into Hall H and there's Ben Stiller sitting up on the stage and, you know, some of these (laughs) other people. And it's like it was fun. But then, like you said, around 2009, 2008, 2009 era, it just got crazy. Thanks, Twilight. Yeah, that was that was about <laughs> ruined our lives. <laughs> that was that was pretty much it. You know, it's like yeah, another reason to not like Twilight is if you needed another reason. Ugh. So, but before we before we go into some like general San Diego Comic Con uh, news, and and we'll also go into maybe some of the stuff that you guys bought at the con. Um, one of the big things that happened the weekend of San Diego Comic Con was not actually at San Diego Comic Con, um, and that was. Uh, James Gunn getting fired from the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 movie due to tweets that he made 10 years ago being drudged up um, by, uh, by a faction that basically makes it their job to do this now. Um, it's the Pizzagate guy, right? Yeah, it, it was indeed the, the Pizzagate guy. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he basically you know made this a big stink and 
Disney responded with, uh, okay, we're, we're taking you off the project. That's it. You're, you're no longer needed. And uh, response has been uh, rather heated on both sides. Uh, I know that Dave Batista has come out in defense of James Gunn, as has uh, Patton Oswalt and a bunch of other uh, comedians. Um, and I'd love to get your guys' take on this in general, because it, it, it's a very heated scenario, and um, I I understand why Disney did it, but at the same time, I feel like they they went too far in this particular instance. It's one thing when someone is making these statements while they're in your employ. It's another when they were random tweets from 10 years ago, at, back in a time when the guy was basically a shock comedian. Um, and uh, I, I, I'd love to, to specifically start with you, Brent, and, and how you feel on this whole thing, uh, because I, I have a feeling I know where you land. Well, I you posted about it, I think I first saw it on Facebook, and I carefully worded my response, because it is your Facebook profile, yeah. and I have gotten reamed by your... Well, I'll call them hyper-liberal New York City hipster friends. Um, I don't know what you call them. Maybe just friends. That's fine. Some, sometimes, some some, family. Yeah, so, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're family. Sometimes they're not from New York. Sometimes, but, but whatever. Yeah, whatever. But, but, but uh, they are hyper-liberals. He's not, uh, he's not <laughs> disputing that point. Some of them are. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. Either way, they all just like piling on Brent. But anyway, continue. Uh, that's true. <laughs> um, as a more usually typically moderate common sense level headed. At least I like to think myself that way. Um, I, I think it's, it's bullshit. Um, the firing is bullshit Mm -hmm. that, you know, should you have tweeted that stuff? No. Now everybody knows in the age of me too, that you can't say anything at all that is controversial or whatever, because it's going to come back to bite you, you know? Um, and this is what happened to James Gunn. And I think the, the Me Too movement, with all the great strides it has done, and you know, flushing out disgusting dirtbags like Harvey Weinstein, has also done damage to to other people who might not deserve it as much. And James Gunn is certainly a victim of this, even though it wasn't like sexual harassment per se, but it's still because of the super reactive uh, state of mind that Hollywood is in right now and social media in general. Mm-hmm. Um, usually. You know, in the justice system, we have this guilty or no, innocent until proven guilty. But on social media right now, you're guilty until absolutely never, ever. You can't even be unproven innocent. Even when you're proven innocent, you're still guilty. And the the shame culture right now on social media is just so disgusting on both sides that uh, people are quick to judge and quick to shame and quick to ruin um, people's lives over something that they have no interest in, control in, no direct gain or, or um, you know, reaction from. Like, you know, James Gunn's tweets don't, you know, react to you. You don't work with him. You don't work for him, that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? But everybody wants to pile on and dogpile on everybody so often now that uh, stuff just gets slipped through the cracks. And James Gunn is one of those guys that's I think has been – you know, is a victim of this of this culture, this shame culture that we live in right now on both mm. sides. I want to I want to point out before uh, before Donovan, uh, I asked for your points here. Uh, th- an article came out on MovieWeb two hours before recording this that uh, Rianne Johnson deleted twenty thousand tweets following James Gunn's firing. Perhaps as a precaution- smart guy. Yeah, perhaps as a precautionary measure. How, how do people find that out? <laughs> uh, 
it's it's actually pretty easy to look at like well for instance webcache um you know like because tweets never really disappear um and there is also a marker on your twitter as to how many tweets you've made if our if if, if if memory serves that is one of the things that shows up on your dashboard um so i guess somebody must have just been like on his profile and then you know reloaded and then suddenly that's that's twenty thousand tweets later um i will also say that james gunn's a smart guy the fact that he never deleted these things in 10 years sure you could say it slipped his mind or whatever but he he honestly he he should have been maybe a little bit more aware of the type of comedian that he used to be and how this stuff could easily bite bite himself in the ass he's he's a well, rich he's I a mean, rich guy and he's a smart guy and thinking of your of your what what's what's posted publicly might have been a, a a smart idea for him let's face it though here like this is we're in uncharted waters right now with oh, James Gunn yeah. it's 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 not sexual harassment he didn't touch anybody he didn't yes. fake grope anybody like yes. Al Franken yes which I think was still a, a bit too far even yeah. as you know he was a comedian not a senator mm-hmm. at the time but whatever you know he he was and he's he has an IMDB page of all the trashy films he's made before oh sure you know super is one of uh, is I think a great film if you haven't seen it Check it out. Rain Wilson, Ellen Page, R-rated superhero movie. He made that before Guardians. Slither, I think, is in a, a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. But he made some other films before then that I've never seen, but I know that I have no interest in seeing because they're probably, I think they're trauma films, and I don't yeah. know that I'm interested in that kind of <laughs> schlock. I guess you would categorize it, categorize it as. Yeah. So just like he has a, a storied film history of you know this type of film versus that type of film versus Guardians, which is an A-level you know, superhero film, he's moved up. And then I would say that your tweets and stuff for the same way. I mean, you go back and look at my Facebook profile from college. My stuff is, is just as, not just as stupid. I wasn't a, didn't think myself a comedian, but I'm just complaining about statics class and, mm-hmm. you know, structures and stuff I was doing at the time. Right. And I, I definitely understand if you're a comedian 10 years ago, trying to think that Twitter was the new hotness, you would be trying to try out, what you know, all the stuff that's going on, and I think comedians are still trying to do that today. Sure, and it's unfortunate that people will be punished for the freedom of speech they exercised five, ten years ago in the past, right? Because of the culture change, especially when you're working for an employer and they say, "Oh, I didn't like something you said ten years ago." No, 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 no. That's that's not how our that may be how culture works. You can deem something unacceptable or rude or crude. Mm-hmm. Um, as the culture shifts, but I don't think you sh- your employment should be terminated based on something that existed before you entered uh, an employment agreement with a company. Yeah, that is insane. And if a James Gunn may not be suing Disney, but he should certainly sue the guy that went after him for libel for calling him a pedophile. Definitely, you know, definitely, definitely, I would agree with that. That would just be fruitless because he would never get. Anything you'd spend a lot of money and it would go nowhere. Yeah, you know what's interesting about this is an entertainer can have their career ruined, or even like a regular person can have their career ruined for doing stuff that's not as bad as something that, uh, for instance, a sitting president has done. Mm -hmm. Yep, you know, and what kind of a weird double standard world do we live in? (laughs) <laughs> it is it is those who would continue to support said sitting president that are 
very much the driving factors of a lot of this stuff. And mind you, exactly. I mean, I, I hate, I, I really hate saying, but it's happening on both sides. Like, yeah, I know that there have been that there have been, you know, hyper liberals who have also been utilizing similar attacks to try to go after, uh, you know, say like Milo and stuff like that. But for the most part, he fucking deserved it. Uh, but it, it kind I'm of not trying to defend that guy. Yeah. The people on the other side of the house, they're these guys have kind of like figured out that like, wow, these uh, these liberal people really care about this stuff. Yeah. Let me just dig up all kinds of dirt on people. Yeah, who exactly. Out against Trump. It's weaponizing outrage. Definitely. Exactly. Yeah. And and these guys, these these people who take this outrage and get these people fired don't even realize how they're being manipulated by the the same people who are supporting the uh, you know the corporate you know kind of republican ultra conservative agenda and some of these other kind of more unsavory you know sides of the house they're just like seeing how they can just really put the knife in and twist it yeah on yeah. these liberals who you just dangle this, you know, piece of bait in front of them and they chase off after it and, <laughs> you know, just go feeding frenzy on one of their own. Yeah. You know, cause you can certainly say well, anything you want, you know, but James Gunn, I mean, the guy's, the guy himself is a liberal guy. I mean, yeah. and that's the whole problem is like these people who were, you know, like shock comedians or in these, you know, different parts of the culture, I mean, they tend to be very liberal, um, want, you know, advocates of free speech and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you brought up um, Al Franken. Look at how they told, you know, he was one of the few guys who were who was standing up intelligently yeah, yeah. trying to argue down and and keep some of the shenanigans that went on in Congress. They totally took that dude off the off the playing field with this nonsense. You know, it just it's crazy. It really is. And uh, you you go back. I mean, well, the fact that like a day after this happened with James Gunn, they then brought up a long since deleted comedy sketch that Dan Harmon made. Um, Mind you, yeah, Harmon's got Harmon's got a bunch of a bunch of uh, issues, you know, above this. But the fact that they went after him with a a deleted comedy sketch about rape essentially that he made in 2009 which he almost immediately deleted afterwards and they tried to dangle that as a carrot and adult swim was like yeah we don't like the sketch oh well like that's it you know because mind you they've already they've already invested in seven seasons of rick and morty like they they would have to straight up cancel Rick and Morty entirely in order to get Dan Harmon out of it because they know as well as anybody, you know, look at Community as the perfect example that if you take the creator out of the show, it's not going to work. And you can then say, oh, well, what about Roseanne? And, well, Roseanne was never really about Roseanne. Roseanne was about the ensemble. And it's going on without her as the ensemble. And I think yeah, that we'll we'll see what it do, what it does with uh, without her. Yeah, I don't I don't I'm think curious. it will do very well. I'm um, genuinely curious. I think the difference though is, and you know, taking Roseanne as an example, taking someone to task for something that they do live in the moment now mm-hmm. is very different than dredging something up 
that somebody did at some point in the past. Yes, absolutely. That you're, you know, that, you know, it's like, hell, what's the statue of limitations on like, you know, grand theft or, you know, all these different kinds. It's like, but to me, one accusation should not ruin a life make, you know what I mean? One accusation, one, one thing, because how do you know, how do you know anything in this world? You know, you've got to use the scientific method to verify it. But one guy saying one thing that happened 20, 25 years ago could be true, yes. but could also be just as not true. Right. And I don't think that we should be firing all of our creative people or anybody else in a matter of seconds. But that's the thing is if if an actual case is built with legitimate evidence and multiple witnesses. Yes. Then that's one thing. But that's not how this works. Yeah, hardware especially. No there was no big case built. There was no actual legal charges filed. There was no nothing. Hardwick is te- just- Hardwick is, te- is technically on suspension, by the way. Well, um, yeah, pending but, investigation. So that's and yeah, but yeah, you know, he also was not hosting the panels. He hosted at Comic Con. Yes. He was and, not at Doctor Who. I can you know, tell you that. And honestly, you know, he may come back. Right now, he's doing the wise thing, which is just like kind yes. of keeping his head down, right? until it kind of blows right, over. Rightfully but so. I think, I think that, like, this is legitimately getting into like, a whole other topic because this isn't about me too in terms of James Gunn. This doesn't... It's kind of similar in terms of like, you know, how celebrities are treated in terms of bad behavior, but it's not me too. And these are sort of instances where like, I mean, it's absolutely a talking point, but honestly, I, I, I think if, you know, um, with, with the, thing, the thing with James Gunn is that like he had a hit job done on him. Yes. Uh, I did not hear about this stuff until uh, the weekend in terms of, like, you know, the stuff that he did before, all those tweets. And l- those were horrible tweets. It wasn't just, oh, those are dumb jokes. Those were, like, disgusting tweets. And I would I – would, if I knew those tweets before I knew who he was, I didn't know who he was until the Guardians movies, I wouldn't like him. Yeah. But I had learned that he had since apologized. And I believe those, those tweets were brought to light when he was first announced to be hired on the Guardians movies. So this is already yes. a done deal. Yeah. Uh, all writers went after him because he was after he was talking about how dumb Donald Trump is, which, you know, get in line. But they went after him. They said, you know, he made these tweets, so he must be a pedophile. FBI go after him. And because of that, Disney said, well, he's radioactive now. We don't we don't want him. That's that's what's going on. It's 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 more of a yeah, case. I, of I know but I, it's it definitely politics, but you cannot. This would not have happened without the Me Too movement. And like I said before, yes. I'm not disparaging it. I'm disparaging the culture of shaming people and rush to judgment that it created and that now everybody is subject to whether you're in entertainment or not. You know, um, just human resources work-wise. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody got accused of something by a female and because – you know, that actually turned out not to be the case. I have firsthand knowledge of stuff. That's not the case. But because she was the first one to file a complaint, you know, he uh, filed another complaint past her. Luckily, he had backed some stuff up. But it doesn't get wiped away, even though it was proven wrong because she was the first to file a complaint. Right. You see, know what I mean? See, and, and, here's, and here's what the what my main issue is with any and all of this is that the Me Too movement is important to get the scumbags out. And yes, I think that one of one of the most important driving factors of the Me Too movement is that it had journalism behind it, specifically going to, say, Bill Cosby as a perfect example. 
there were journalists that investigated this for months and months and months, got witnesses after witnesses after witnesses, got people who were uh, who, who were subjected to his advances, so on and so forth. Kevin Spacey as well. Fifteen different people have come forward with allegations against Kevin Spacey, stemming all over the place from from groping to you know potential rape, so on and so forth. Does not look good. But then you go to things like Aziz Ansari having a bad date with ha- having having a bad date with yeah, somebody. Yeah, that was bullshit. And and that you know basically making him have to step back and in, in his career for a little bit. He's 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 rebounding now. And, and frankly, I think that that's mainly blown over. Then there's also scenarios with George Takei. George Takei, the person who came forward, has at this point essentially retracted, reneg- uh, re- retracted on those statements and reneged because it was one person. And you can usually tell, even with these, for the most part, with, when, there's no, when there's no further journalists coming in with, we found this person, we found this person, we found this person— Usually, you can tell that it, that 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 there's something that there's not a full case, if that makes sense. Um, it's very hard to tell because yes, sometimes there is just one person and that's it, and one person can be all it takes to to take a scumbag out. But if you do not have journalists backing your story, and I'm talking real journalists, trust me, Donovan, I understand. You know, you, you work in press and all that jazz. I'm talking New York Times. I'm talking USA Today. I'm talking Washington Post. I'm talking, you know. Daily news, any any real news outlets, I'm bound to trust those first when it comes to Me Too allegations specifically. Well, my thing is that like I kind of see this more along the lines of I, I, I really was, like 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 uh, I don't know, it's like Henry Cavill or whatever mm-hmm. a, a couple weeks ago, or even Scarlett it, it, it Johansson, in the sense that this is like. I think we're all kind of reacting emotionally towards the sense of like, if what is, uh, you know, what, what, what's the difference between somebody who's made a mistake and we give them contrition for it yes. or just a problematic fave? Absolutely. Um, no woman has talked about James Gunn. So no. I, 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 I don't, I don't want to like, uh, uh, disrespect the conversation by talking about something else that, that James what Gunn the hell did Henry did. Cavill do? He he talked. He actually talked about the Me Too thing and said it's, it's hard to get, it's hard to get a date without a woman uh, accusing you of being a rapist or whatever. And he got he got dragged on Twitter because of that because it, it was seemed as ill informed. And I talked about that on on Q No Way because uh, I was I was frustrated that like if if somebody in in the public eye does something that you know we don't we don't like as progressives, th- their Hollywood license so to speak should not be revoked. That was my argument. Right. Um. But I do think that like you know. I, I don't know. I, I I agree that like uh, weaponized outrage and even PC culture to an extent shouldn't be just a cudgel to I, I don't know virtue signal or whatever. But um, it's a tightrope. It is. It you know these, there are specific cases, and I think with this instance, it's actually much more cut and dry than like a larger conversation on well, what about this person? What about mm-hmm. this person? And Dan Harmon. I think. Honestly, with this, it's like, well, the reason is that like alt writers didn't like, you know, their supreme leader getting attacked, and so they went after James Gunn. Yeah, that's it. And right. Disney needs to recognize that, um, to a to an extreme extent, Nazis are going after their employees. They need to be aware of what to do, especially when they most likely knew about these tweets in the first place. I think that's where the main conversation is, not so much whether we believe in these other celebrities it's, at this at this point in time or whichever. It's that these tweets got dredged up again. I think that's 
100% the reason why Disney got rid of him is that they they had this this made a tiny stink when when Guardians first came out and people weren't happy with it then and then it came up again. And at this, yeah, but is at this, this a tiny time, stink again? This isn't this a tiny stink again? This is like 2000 people that are retweeting yes. this one guy's tweets. Yes it is. 2000 people out of a population of 300 million is less than 2% of the population. And and let's so think and let's think Why of, is it fireable? It's science. Not, only only because Disney deemed it so and that's it all it takes you know, is one executive to deem it's, it so it's interesting because you know like what Henry Cavill said he he didn't say it in the most elegant way and he said it like probably in like a really poor venue mm-hmm. but if you kind of dig down at what he said there's like a germ of um, there's a logic to it idea to the point he was making was that as a high profile man actor, he has to be extremely careful because anything he does can be misconstrued and he can be accused of stuff. And there's very little desire for anybody to prove anything that if somebody decides to say that Henry Cavill did something, they're going to immediately believe that person right. and his career is going to be in the toilet before whether he did it or not before right. any of these I'm sorry is a perfect example to light, right yeah but the thing about that is that, is that like that the people there's a lot of truth behind that and there's absolutely an instance of the whole guilty before proven innocent thing um but he was the way he said it he wasn't right because at that point you're just like you know, for him, just all all you need to do, all you need to care about is is respecting women, and you have nothing to worry about. That was well, essentially what the, what the answer was to yeah. that. The bottom line is, I don't disagree with you. I, I'm saying he he said it in a really poor way, and yeah. saying it to like whatever like Vanity Fair is really not the you know place to have that kind of conversation anyway. If you have that with Playboy, you'll be much better shape. But but the actual <laughs> you know thought or idea behind it is fairly true. You know, and and realistically, if you want to take James Gunn as a parallel, right? You say, well, all he has to do is not be a douchebag to women, and he's okay. Well, you know, to some extent, maybe, but that's not parallel. That's not parallel. He was going after well, Donald Trump. Okay, fine. Let me let's let's say I don't want to say parallel. It's just um, his, the point is is that just the fact of. You can't say that just be nice to women and this will never happen to you because he could be completely nice, completely a gentleman, do everything right. And if somebody got a perceived wrong from him and decided they wanted to do a hatchet job on them, they could make a, make life very uncomfortable for him mm-hmm. before anybody bothered to check the facts and determine whether or not any accusation that was made is actually true or not. Yeah. That's the actual point. Yeah, I, I think I think in the end, with uh, with with James Gunn in particular, many people have put it this way, and I'm and I'm pretty much going to put it the same way. Like you can you can say at the same time this was a hatchet job and this was bullshit, and that he never should have tweeted those things in the first place. Those are those are one hundred percent things that you can say, and I I think both of them. I think that he that they were stupid 
pointless jokes that weren't even really jokes that he honestly should have never freaking made 10 years ago, and now it bit him in the ass because it gave him ammunition to go after him here. As of now, he is still fired. Dave Batista is in his corner. Uh, Chris Pratt's uh, tweeting. All the Guardians. Yeah. Unclear. No, Chris, Chris Pratt tweeted a, uh, a, a Bible quote, basically. No, I saw what he tweeted, but that doesn't say, it, does, it just says quick, you know, slow to judgment, quick to listen, yeah. quick, to, slow to speak. Right. Like that's not that's not coming out and saying yay or nay on no, it's either. not. It's not. Uh, did you no, see what Don, Donovan, did you see what Bobcat Goldthwait? Yes, I did. You know, I did. Yeah. That was a great point. Yeah, he had a great point. Yep. Yeah. Gold Goldthwait basically said like, yeah, you know, I I freaking parachuted into a Nirvana concert naked, and <laughs> you know earlier on in my life, but you know I would never do that now because I'm for one thing I'm older and I've grown and I'm I'm not that person anymore, and people should be allowed to grow as human beings and not be held 100% accountable for shit they did 10 to 15 years ago. You know, especially when they didn't like, like really Like Disney hurt. and their racist cartoons. Come on, please. Tell me about it. And, you know, when this first came out, I legitimately was thinking, wait, did they mean James Wood? That, that, that's, that's, what I, that's what I was thinking. Like, like when, when I heard James Gunn, I'm like, wait, you don't mean James Woods? Like, because, yeah. you know, hell, he was, he was in a Hercules movie for Disney back in the day. You know, and that guy's a giant asshole. Turns out they were talking about Gunn, and uh, I'll be very curious to see what happens with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 from here, and whether or not he's at least hired on as a consultant. I also would not be surprised, and, you know, this is complete, Rumor mongering on my end that can very wind, very well turn up being you know hogwash, but I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up on set and doesn't officially get a credit. After all, this. I won't just be rehired again. No, I, 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 I wouldn't stop. have. If I were James Gunn and I got shamed like this, ruined, I wouldn't accept anything less than a full apology and a full rehire. Yeah, and con- control of his characters. I mean, right. he doesn't own the characters. But he basically is the creator of those versions of those characters. Mm-hmm. Star-Lord was not that way before James Gunn came along. Yeah. Bendis turned Star-Lord into that way after James Gunn came along. But, like, you know, Gamora was not a romantic love interest before he came along. <laughs> Drax was still is not the same no. in the comics as he is in the movie. So, yeah. like, he's basically the creator, creator of those versions of the characters. Yeah. That's like to me. That's his prop, not property, but his intellectual ideas, his brain waves, his thought patterns. Like all that is, you know, embedded in that. Mm-hmm. The whole arc of of Rocket Raccoon, as has been pointed out online, this is not my idea. I'm taking it from someone else. Is basically the arc of James Gunn. Like he's an asshole in the very beginning, and he learns by the end of the second movie that it's okay to change. Yeah, and that's what we need to do, people, is make sure it's. Still okay to change because change is good. Yeah. If you're changing for the better, change is good. Right. And forgiveness is an option. Compassion is an option. And instead of jumping to shaming people, whether you're on the left, the right, the middle, whatever, should first think of what the compassionate choice is and how you might want to be treated. I'm not making this a religious thing, (laughs) but just a golden rule thing if you really wanted to break it down. Mm -hmm. How would you want to be treated if somebody accused you of something first? Well, I, I I think I agree with you that change is good, and therefore I'm going to change the topic. 
we are uh, w- going to move on to some uh, comic news at this point. I mean, we basically exhausted the uh, the. the it's a hot topic. It is. It's a very hot topic. I'm glad we touched on it. And I, with I think hot I, takes. Yes, with hot takes, very much so. So much so that I'm sizzling and I'm burning inside. Uh, <laughs> we 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 move on. Uh, some of the big stories that came out of Comic Con this weekend. Number one, uh, a pilot script has been written for Judge Dredd Mega City One. Uh, this has uh, been in hot discussion for a while now, uh, and it's now essentially in pre-production. A, I Am Global Television is going to produce the series, um, and uh, it's basically looking for a home at this point. Uh, new series is described as a drama focusing on a team of street judges, law enforcement officers who act in a dystopian future as judge, jury, and executioner are criminals. The series is set in a grim 20, 22nd century, yada, yada, yada. Yes, we all know what Judge Dredd is. Um so here, here's the question: um, Is Judge Dredd going to be in this, or is this just going to be a team of judges? Sounds like a team. I'm not. This doesn't really sound that interesting. I like the Dread movie, the mm-hmm. first one. I've seen the Sylvester Stallone one, and you know, or no, I don't think I've seen it actually. But I like the Dread movie, but this, this to me, like, doesn't sound very interesting. If you watch the Netflix Punisher talking, show, not the first one. You're talking about the Carl Urban. Carl Urban. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that the true Dread movie is great. Yeah. But, like, this doesn't sound interesting to me. Like, I thought a TV show about the Punisher would be interesting. And, no, I was wrong. Ten of the 13 <laughs> episodes had no shooting whatsoever, <laughs> which is what I came to see. I'm actually you know, enjoying it so far. changed his motivation and origin. Did you catch that? It was, that? It was awful. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people loved it, though. I mean, I, I, I know they did, but I'm not. I'm fine with a slow burn. I think it makes sense for certain things. It doesn't make sense for the Punisher. You're there to watch him punish people. Yeah. Well, they they've basically said that that if Carl Urban is available at the time that this that this pilot is going in, that yes, Dread will be a part of the series and he will be involved. Um, but I <clears throat> I guess we have to still wait and see on that one way or the other. Uh, Bob, uh, you interested? Uh, I mean, depending on what they show it on, I'll. I'll watch it if I have the sir. I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it. Let's say that, like, if they put it on, like, uh, you know, like this DC channel that you have to pay for, you know, <laughs> the network, the you know, the Star Trek Discovery. You know, I'm I'm yeah. not buying, you know, the service to watch Star Trek Discovery. If Star Trek Discovery was on, you know, like a channel that I could just turn on, I would have certainly watched it. But I'm not going to jump through a hoop i i feel the same way about dread if it's somewhere that i can easily access it yeah sure i'll try it out but mm-hmm. i'm not going to jump through a hoop for it makes sense yeah i i honestly wouldn't be surprised if it gets picked up by say like bbc america or something like that it seems like it would be a good uh, crossover series that way it gets to air on in you know both the uk and here uh if, if they get the you know secure the rights properly uh but i know that that would be tied to a uh you know a cable subscription for most people but wouldn't surprise me. Donovan? You know what's funny on the Judge Dredd topic? Yeah, sure. Just a panel I was just in. I was in a lot of panels that, uh, as it turned out, like somebody from 2000 AD was moderating, uh, Mike Mulcher, who's mm-hmm. uh, an editor there. Somebody was saying, yeah, people make the mistake of thinking that Judge Dredd's a hero. Right. And that's actually <laughs> not the point of Judge Dredd. <laughs> the point of Judge Dredd is this guy is this fascist, you know, guy is like doing all this stuff and if if you're cheering for dread there's something a little bit wrong <laughs> <laughs> well which which is interesting because yeah in dread you're definitely cheering for him 
or, or, or I wouldn't exactly say cheering, but you're def- he's definitely the protagonist. He's the protagonist. Yes. I guess it depends, you know, because I've read a lot of Dread, and, you know, if he's out fighting the Angel Gang or the Dark Judges, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm cheering for Dread. But when he's, like, you know, taking some random dude and putting him in an ice- ISO cube for 20 years for, <laughs> you know, throwing a gum wrapper in the street or something, that's a bad thing. That's where it like kind of crosses that line and you're seeing that other side of dread where he's so he's so black and white on it. He could have been written by Ditko. (laughs) There's a a great comic where like uh, a guy is threatening to commit suicide by jumping off a building and dreads like no citizen. There is no littering. (laughs) (laughs) So what you're saying is in jail for attempting to commit suicide because that's against the law. <laughs> you know, just like okay, don't betray the law. Law, <laughs> and <laughs> law. <laughs> uh, w- would you watch it, Donovan? Um, not, not uh, if, it, if, it has, if it doesn't have Dread, who's like the primary character. Now, I'm, I'm yeah. not really actually read the Dread comics, so like, mm-hmm. uh, and the, the, I, I, as we'll say later, there's so much stuff out there that like this would not be one that would rush out to at least not without Dread. Well, what about Titans? Because uh, as nope. as as was announced uh, at at San Diego Comic Con, the whole DC Universe streaming service has materialized, and uh, if you pre-order the service before the fall, I believe it's only costing you seventy four ninety nine for uh, a year plus an extra three months. Uh, that is crap. I hated that. I was like, oh, you know, I'll pre-order it. Yeah. And they're like, oh, but you have to give us a whole year's payment of $75. Yeah. I did the math. I'm like, so this is 7 bucks a month? What? Yeah, well, they're Amazon Priming it. That's insane. It. They're Amazon Priming it because they realize that, uh, and, and that's what a lot of services do these days, is that they want to take your money up front to ensure that you're with them for a year versus we're just going to get it for a month and watch everything real quickly in a binge and then immediately cancel the service. That's what I'm going to do. They're not completely Amazon priming it because with Amazon prime, I get to uh, buy any kind of weird shit that I want and have them ship it to me in two days for free. (laughs) That's that's, that's that's true. Yeah. (laughs) I can buy light bulbs and they're in my, on my doorstep in two days because I have Amazon prime. (laughs) It would be a much better value if they said, we're going to throw the entire library of DC comics on the service from day one. Yeah. Not this curated stuff. I know. And new releases four weeks after I'd be like done. Okay, Done. maybe not. You got me. Even if it was more than four weeks, man. Like even if it was similar to what uh, what Marvel Unlimited does with like the, uh, the 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 six weeks after, I'd be perfectly okay with that. And it, it, is it six weeks or is it more than that? It might be two months, but that whatever. Is six months. It's no, um, I don't, I don't have it. It's like two months. Two or three months, yeah, something like that. Yeah. But like, it doesn't have to be immediate because I'm so bi- far behind on half my reading anyway that like it, it wouldn't matter to me if I'm you know waiting the extra you know two months as long as I was able to read it eventually. Um, but from that first trailer of Titans, oh, can I go, please? <laughs> oh, oh you're, 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 you're definitely going first, Donovan. But I got, I got, I got to take my my take first. I have seen sure. fan films with higher production value than it looks like Titans has. Yes. And, and and I understand that this was just a trailer and that it could very well look very different when it's done, but I just watched a 15-minute long Nathan Drake fan film starring Nathan Fillion that had more production value than, than this. I watched the fan film for Power Rangers and it had more production value than this. 
Batman Dead End, which was made 15 years ago, had more production value than this. It is not a good look. Your thoughts, Donovan? I actually don't mind like 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 the visual look of it. I, or at least I don't think it looks like bad. Oh, that's not what struck out to me. Uh, <laughs> so like, a, Fuck a, a few weeks ago, yeah, a few weeks ago there was a press release where people had seen the pilot and said that like, gosh, there's swearing and violence in this. Which so that put me off. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew what to, what to expect when it dropped. Yeah. But um, I basically felt watching this the same way I felt when I was watching BVS, which is like I just felt embarrassed. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have I, I know people who have kind of like vociferously defended this and you know they, they play the same thing it's like oh you don't think that Nightwing ever said that or wanted to say that and oh you know you think Titans can only be for kids or whatever and it's like okay look like there can be different interpretations of characters uh, absolutely there can be different takes you know as we're talking about Jeff, James Gunn the Guardians are like not the Guardians of the comics at least they weren't um, but to me it's about the presentation. I've I I've not I didn't call off and yell at the set photos a few months ago. I didn't you know I thought that the Hawk and Dove costumes were pretty good when they came out. But yeah. uh, when your trailer, when your when your first impression, your intentional first impression is like le- le- lethal violence and and swearing from, no, from it's, like it's Robin Red the Boy TV Wonder. Red TVMA. Red TVMA. Yeah. Like, TVMA. That that's not cool. That's not edgy. That that just reeks of immaturity. Yeah. Um, and the trailer and, itself is so sloppily cut, Donovan. That's what. That's yeah. another one of my main issues with it. You cannot have your first impression look this so stupidly juvenile. It's, it's like it's, it's like, uh, like 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 this. Whenever it comes out, release your inner demons. It's like it's just so like edge lord and like fifteen year old. Like I mean, it's not an identity. It's 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 an attitude. Uh, actually, my brother said that, and like, <laughs> I, I really, I really don't like this. Uh, I'm not giving this a time of day. I, I, I have, I have better things to do than like waste my time getting mad at DC Comics again. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think that the guy who plays Robin looks decent, but like, who cares? Like, it looks like it sucks. And again, like, you know, while I would prefer Robin to not be a sniveling murderer and and, and not explicate what he probably thinks of Batman. It's not so much that as it is that's what they chose to advertise. This is not your mommy's Titans, and it's just like, you know what, my mommy's Titans are fine, you know. So I'm sure this show has a potential to be good. You know, Riverdale's pretty fucked up, but people seem to like that. But that's not my jam. <laughs> I call so I called it. I don't like it. I called it Riverdale with super, with superpowers when when I first watched the trailer, and like, yes, I do actually like Riverdale. It's a it, it's a it's a freaking soap opera. And it's basically teeny bopper, uh, 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 crap, uh, uh, Twin Peaks, but yeah. but it's you know With it's pedophilia. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> which which was weird, but it uh, you know it's still its own thing. They walked uh, back on that, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. CW's made some interesting choices. Let's just put it that way. Um, but. This just doesn't feel right, man. I mean, I mean, Bob. But did you did you enjoy what you saw of it? Like, are you interested at all? Not my cup of tea, um, but I can. I mean, I didn't. I didn't look at it and have the the visceral reaction that you seem to be having. I yeah. just kind of look. My my take on it when I watched the trailer was, wow, this looks really dark. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is this is not. Uh, <laughs> I, I was looking at more at what was being said as opposed to how it was being said 
I wasn't like really analyzing it for production value and all that kind of stuff. I just was kind of taking in the content and it was just, um, I was looking at some of the choices they had made on like how they were presenting Robin and I, Robin seemed interesting. Raven, it was interesting take on Raven as well. I, I just think that they could have gone in a less dark direction with the whole thing. Yeah. And maybe gotten a little better, um, audience uptake, but you know, I'm, I look at it and say, you know, this is not something that is going to cause me to want to give DC a, you know, check for $75. Um, (laughs) fuck that. (laughs) I, I, yeah, Brent, before I get your take on it, the only thing that, that, that will get me to pay for this service is young justice. Yes, exactly. And, and I feel like this is exactly what the production meeting went for Titans. Like, Okay, so guys, so we have Teen Titans Go, and that's for kids. And we have Young Justice, and that's basically a Titan show, and that's and that's for, you know, like like young adults and, and for I never thought of it adults. that way. Well, but that is sort of the divide though, when you think about it though. Like like there's there's a there's a tight there's a Titans for kids, there's a Titans for young adults, and now they're going Titans for darkness. Like <laughs> <laughs> So my, if I were sitting in that room, I would say, okay, then we don't need a third Titan show then. Exactly. <laughs> because the Titans for uh, Young Justice Titans is basically the great encapsulation of the Titans. Yes. Like that's – if you look at all the comics, there's no Dark Titans or anything like that. Yeah. The main Titans book has failed to succeed mm-hmm. every time it's been launched. Yeah. In the 90s, in the 2000s. Um, what? Jeff Johns Titans was, was like a big no no no. Seller. I'm talking not Teen Titans, just if it's Titans. called Titans. Yeah, you had the just Judd Winnick Titans with uh, Ed Benitez oh, on yeah. it that ran for like yeah. twelve issues. Abnet's doing this a new one good now. Job. I think is the longest one in a long time. Yeah, well, that, that's because it's freaking Abnet. Like Abnet's an, an actual good writer. I mean, mind you, mm-hmm. there are other good writers who have written Titans in the past, but this feels like it's uh, the closest to the original origins of the Titans book. Like, it's very much just, you know, were the Teen Titans grown up, but we still actually have the values of the original Titans, which has not always been the case with these other books. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just not interested in, like, uh, a annoying Raven, 13-year-old annoying girl Raven. Like, she's going to be less entertaining than the kid in Iron Man 3, and we all know how... <laughs> love and hate that guy is i'm cold you know, if you think she's gonna be any good you guess again do you do you want to know do you want to know uh how i know that you hate the kid from iron man 3 brent oh i actually like that kid from iron man 3 oh i was gonna say because we're connected <laughs> um i think my biggest thing is that it just the effort went into three costumes on the show that we've seen so far yeah hawk dove and robin look the costumes look great. Yeah, uh, I will yeah, say that. The, the, but they, the split second of 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 Dove that I saw looked awesome. Yeah, well, right? they have production like uh, promotional stills of Hawk and Dove and Robin that they released before this trailer, and they look great. But they didn't bother to put in any effort in on uh, Beast Boy, and who knows if he's going to actually transform into anything on the show? Don't hold. 
holds your breath, I would say. Uh, if anything, he's going to be a DC version. He's going to be just like Mari on Legends of Tomorrow, who's done really well, Vixen, I think. Vixen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Vixen. And um, what was it? Starfire. I feel bad for this actress. I don't like Starfire's honestly. look in general. I could give. I could care less that she that she's black on the show. She was apparently chased off on Instagram today. Uh, heard. Yeah, no. Well, she, she deleted. She, she deleted her Instagram in general because she's been getting such negative uh, responses from people. And it just shows. Code for some I reason. Yeah. They. They. I think. I feel like they were so focused on casting a diverse cast and stuff that they forgot that she's an alien. Yeah. And I know that you can have like aliens of different colors and stuff, but Zoe Saldana on Facebook today. Zoe, a, Zoe yeah, Saldana's Zoe green. Saldana. Like, come on. But yeah. uh, I saw on Facebook today a cosplay. It was a black woman cosplaying Starfire, and I don't know if it was like her skin tone or makeup, but basically her skin tone, if you look at the George Perez drawing, was exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And she had a, a full wig on with like beautiful, long, flowing orange hair. It was perfect. It was spot on. She was wearing purple, um, and it was like, wow, that's somebody's time and effort put into thinking about becoming that character. Whereas this one, they're like, hey, let's get a black girl to make the show more diverse. You know, no offense to the actress, I feel bad for her. And let's stick a wig on her and color it orange and call it done. Yeah, and more, put her in a purple jumpsuit. It's it's you know, it's like, the costume that's not, more than anything. That's not else. love. Yes. Yeah. The, the the cost the costume and the general design of the character needs to be better. Um and it's I hope that once the series comes out that is the case, but this does not look very good. Um you can tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. One well, one thing one thing I was happy to hear about at a San Diego Comic Con for this uh, DC uh, you know universe is that they're developing a Star Girl series um, with uh, with Jeff Johns and Greg Berlanti uh, behind it, which I knew was going to happen the minute that I heard Jeff Johns was involved in the streaming service because Star Girl is his creation and his one, one of his favorite characters because it's I mean it's based on his uh, on his on his sister so I mean that's obviously you know going to be a, a you know something that's very near and dear to his heart, um, but I I hope I hope it turns out well. I think that Courtney is the type of character that could very much lend herself quite well to this to the small screen. Um, I mean, from the appearances that she had in both Smallville and in Legends of Tomorrow, I like the character. Um, but uh, let's see what this take is like, and maybe if they even you know bring in a little bit of the Starman uh, lexicon in one way or the other, that'd be kind of cool too. But uh, yeah. Looks like it could be interesting. I hope they update her costume a la Black Lightning mm-hmm. as opposed to what they did to her in Smallville and Legends. Yeah. And I know the Legends version was in the 40s, so she didn't have much to work with right? Uh, costume-wise. But if they do her, I hope they uh, do it along more more along the lines of Supergirl and, and what the girls are wearing in Black Lightning. Those are great costumes. Yes. Yes, they are. Yeah. Um, plus, we have, what, Swamp Thing and... Uh, we I think the Doom Patrol are also in the, in the also, Harley icon. Quinn. I was I was I was going to say between Young Justice, which is I don't want to say it's a totally dark show, but it's 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 a edgier show. Titans, Swamp Thing, and like an adult Harley Quinn uh, cartoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be a pretty like like a, a, a mature streaming channel. Yeah, it, it is. Enough. Yeah. Um. At, also related to DC, the fact that they uh, that they released a uh, that they're finally doing Batman Hush as an animated movie, um, that's that has me intrigued. 
I mean, since, yeah, I'm done for that. That's, that yeah, cool. definitely. Um, I, I'm surprised that this wasn't that this didn't happen earlier, quite frankly, because it's one of the, you know, more popular arcs. Um, moving away from DC, uh, there was an announcement that came out as well that we're getting a new Buffy the Vampire Slayer series. Um, that's being executive produced by Joss Whedon, and it will feature a Black Slayer. Um, anybody have any, any opinions on this? I'm, I'm, tre- I'm trepidatious until I see anything out of it because I feel like we've had like reboots of Buffy announced like eight times now, and none of them have actually gotten off the ground outside of the comics. But this seems like it's probably the most uh, fleshed out reboot that I've heard about so far. This- I, I've not watched the original series. I can only, so I can't speak to the my interest in it, which mm-hmm. is probably nominal. But you know, rebooting something and gender swipping or race flopping and stuff is fine. But it just sounds like a cash grab. Yeah, he's executive producing it. He's not show running it, so his teeth aren't in it. Um, you know, and as as of as of as of late, reboot going to be any good? I don't no, know. Probably no. not. It's, it, it's is, will not. this be I, any good? I didn't look at the news, Ian. Did they like actually call it a reboot? Uh, yes. From from what I'm seeing of it, uh, it is it is a reboot. Uh, let me see if I can bring up the news here. Yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer reboot in the works, according to CNN Entertainment. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something that like the mythology of Buffy is that there are different slayers. Right. So. You know, to me, if they just made it another Slayer who sure. happens to be black, mm-hmm. I'd be fine with that. Right. But just going and rebooting it to the point saying, oh, this is Buffy Summers and now she's black. I don't see the point of that. I, I actually am 100% agree with you, Bob. I mean, because uh, because they've had other Slayers. I mean, there was even a Slayer that was introduced on the show that was black. Yeah. Um, in, I believe, so, season two. Yeah. Why does it need to be... You know, just kind of redoing ground that we've already covered instead of just building onto the mythology with another character who's who's black or another character who's whatever. You know, they could do any number of different kinds of slayers. Said it and, in you know, another country, do, have in, Buffy in, in the, China. Well, they did that, actually, in the comics. You know, you would have these things with, like, past slayers, you know, from, you know, someone who is, like, in another continent or another, you know you know, a hundred years ago. And just like, you could do all kinds of things with the concept. Um, just taking and doing a straight reboot just seems like a waste to me. Yeah. Uh, Can you get like a, a real Witchblade show? If you read Mon- Ron Mars's run, which is all on Comixology Unlimited, uh, plug, plug, even though I'm not getting paid plug, um, <laughs> you could definitely do a Buffy-like show with the Witchblade because it's all supernatural stuff mm-hmm. and have different you know, different bearers as your actress gets older and says, I don't want to do this anymore. All you got to do is introduce her replacement the season before and have the witch blade transfer and you're, you're good to go. Well, you know, I, I, I personally would have just liked to have seen them adapt Frey, uh, since Frey is set in the 23rd century. Like that would have just been like, you know, Buffy, the next generation or whatever, and just pick it up from there. I mean, you could even have some of the, you know, older actors involved with the process if you really wanted to, uh, whether it be flashbacks or whether it be, you know, older adaptations of them. Since uh, Willow's a witch, she could easily still be alive in the 23rd century. Um, 
it's an idea. I mean, I, I see why they're doing it, but at the same time, it's going to have to be very good in order to... Uh, like, this better be a Battlestar Galactica-level reboot um, in order for it to work. Like, it has to be different enough to, to, to have me enjoy it, while at the same time still bringing enough to the table um, uh, for, for, for it to make sense. Uh, Donovan, you looking forward to it at all? Um, I think Brent said that he he had not seen Buffy, and I, I'm not seeing it either. I've seen some things here or there. I don't know why. I don't really mind the idea of a reboot for a series I never watched and have any attachment to. But um, I don't know if it has like a different, an actively different lead. I don't know why that would be the, a big deal. Um, I mean, I'm surprised that like this has not kind of been part of the conversation because I know a lot of reactions were after. The news about Joss Whedon and his wife came out. People were like, you know, uh, why are we giving him work kind of thing? Mm-hmm. But in terms of the property... Uh, Again, shaming people. <laughs> we're not going back to that, Brent. We're moving on. <laughs> we are. I'm just saying, people were quick to shame him. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, it, well, it, 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 we're it's... going to have to move on. You don't want, you don't want Donovan to move on. Makes, the, makes the perfect point, though. Mm-hmm. And that is that who is the audience that they're going after? When you right. make... A drastic change is it because you really don't give a shit about the original fans and the comics are the same way you know it's like well you're going to get a certain number of hardcore fans that'll kind of stick around you know just regardless because it's this property but the casual fans who are going to be put off by the reboot if there are fewer of them than what you think will be the appeal to people who never watched the, the original or read the original so that they don't really care and they're just going to be interested in what we're presenting right now. Well, that, that's, right? that's, 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 what the, they're, that's what they're looking for, Bob, I think, more than anything right. else. Is that, I mean, exactly. yeah, Buffy, Buffy is for teenagers more than anything else. Um, always has been, always will be. And, you know, obviously, as a fan of the original Buffy, which, mind you, I didn't even watch when it was on. I watched it afterwards on DVD, and I really enjoyed it. I watched Angel as well. But I'm not the demographic they're going after. If they want to go after the demographic, it better the damn well be a good series. That's that's all. They get, they need to justify it by having it be good and bring enough to the table to actually have a new generation be into this series, you know? It's like... That's exactly it. Yeah. It's just they need to... I mean, to- yeah, because... They need to make it appeal to the core audience of Buffy, which is teenagers today. And if they subsequently happen to get some people who came, you know, who watched the original, then then that's a bonus. Right. But that's not who they should be even caring about. Yeah. And I mean, they, 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 they rebooted um, Mad Max. You know, who was the audience for that? But like, you know, reboots, reboots could work half the time they don't well that's uh, that's the thing though donovan it's both a reboot and a sequel uh it is a requel uh but mad max Max is technically still inside of the mad max universe uh that that's that's been said a couple times it's just yeah it's a very you could look at it any way you want is it another person going by the name mad max is it the same max we saw before it's entirely up to your own interpretation so go figure okay yeah um, all right, so we got some other uh, bits and pieces that came out from uh, this whole shebang. Uh, the Aquaman trailer and the Shazam trailer we mostly went over already. Um, so what else What else you guys want to touch on? Uh, anything stick out uh, specifically to you guys? Uh, Brent, uh, you got anything you want to bring up? 
I already did YouTube videos on most of the shit, so <laughs> they're on the channel. <laughs> yes, but you're on the podcast now, and that's different. What 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 would you like to go further in depth on here with a panel? I guess if we can talk Batman Fifty, I want to get <laughs> awesome a reaction on that. Okay, all right. Um, has everyone read Batman Fifty? I have. I have. I, I, I haven't, but I know what goes on. I don't mind being spoiled. Uh, the original 1945 one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ian, it's available if you know where to find it. I, I know where to find it. I just haven't gotten okay. to it yet. I'm literally going to be reading it tonight. All right. Yeah. Well, it, there's the the main... I don't know. I'm, I'm so hot and cold on this Tom King run. Like, I you know, I, lo- I read I Vision. You. I bought that in trade, and I really thought that was really strong. Uh, narrative stuff, but this I'm hot and cold on this Tom King run, man. He, he, he's too artsy at times, just to be artsy. Mm-hmm. And when I say artsy, I mean big splash pages, double page spreads. And it seems mostly to be when Mikhail Yannon or Janin is drawing the book. Who I like his art just fine. Um, I like all the artists on this Batman run just fine, but I find him to be a little too sparse. In stuff to read in like 40%, 50% of the books of the issues that have come out. Where, you know, I buy a, a $3.99, $2.99 Batman book or whatever. It takes me five minutes to read it because, you know, like this one, number 50, didn't take me five minutes to read it. But that's only because it, he wrote some long-ass letter and the entire issue basically is just caption boxes over these big pinups and stuff. And I know it's a celebration issue, but like I would have been fine if that stuff was in the back. And we got a real reason that Batman and Catwoman didn't get married other than, oh, you can't be Batman and be happy at the same time. Uh, I don't Did you know. see it's... she was manipulated by Holly Robertson, who was working for Bane, and also maybe Thomas Wayne? No, I think if you really knew somebody and really loved them, you would know that they're capable of different things. I don't know. My, like, my I mean? problem with this issue is not Tom King. It was DC's marketing department. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, he was teary-eyed when he was talking about it, uh, getting spoiled. He was betrayed. I'm not, I'm not even talking Whatever. about Whatever he knew that. ahead of time. I'm not even talking about them leaking the news to the, you know, the media outlets several days before the issue hit. I'm talking about when Dan DiDio went on in DC nation number one, talking about the issue and praising it and made it very clear in what he wrote that Tom King pitched the entire arc to the DC management six months in advance. And they all okayed the story and the ending. And now Tom King, you know, he's like, well, you know, this is the midpoint of my hundred issue, you know, opus on Batman. And, you know, he never intended Batman and Catwoman to get married in this issue. And, you know, maybe, you know, it'll be redeemed and maybe they'll at the end of his hundred issue run, they'll end up getting married or something. Who knows? But but my point is, is that D.C. management and marketing were all 100 percent aware of the fact that this wedding was not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And they marketed the hell out of a wedding. Because they, they could. Up wedding invitations. Yep. They had five or six, 
you know, prelude to the wedding, you know, bachelor party, this and that nonsense. And all those things sold in the top 20 and made DC a hell of a lot of money, you know, all on the conceit that there was going to be a wedding. And then they pulled the rug out from under the fans. Now, say what you will, I mean, about the story, but to me, what this really was, and, and people who are hardcore Batman fans, it seems like they went one of two directions. I see a lot of hardcore, maybe not even hardcore Batman fans, but hardcore DC fans are like falling on their swords, defending DC over this, saying, oh, it's all fine with me. I look at it as, you know, they made like 50 or uh, 75 different variant covers for this thing that, you know, store <laughs> variants and artist variants. And, you know, when a store buy gets a custom variant of, of a cover, they got to buy like two or 3,000 copies of that. So you can't tell me there's not a, a very commercial reason to market this thing like this. DC made a hell of a lot of money off of a non-event that they would not have made a dime of that money if they had not been pimping that as a wedding issue. Yeah. And I just yeah. see it as a bait and switch on their fans, whether, whether a lot of the fans were okay with it or not. I just see that as them reaching into the wallets of the fans and extracting a big handful of cash. I mean, at least when I, I don't like that, it, it, I, 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 I understand that. And, it also does not surprise me at all because of exactly what you said, Bob, that like any way that DC is going to make some extra money off of their fans, they will do so. Um, it's going to leave some people burned, especially when shit doesn't go the way that they expected it to in the first place. But for comparison's sake, let's look at the X-Men's wedding issue that came out around the same time. Uh, like a week ago yeah, or a week before. Exactly. Like the the wedding between uh, Kitty, and, Kitty and Colossus, which wound up being the wedding between, spoilers, between... Uh, rogue and gambit at least you got a wedding exactly you know <laughs> you got a wedding <laughs> right it wasn't uh, the one you were expecting but you got a wedding if if like if if this had somehow ended with like somehow barbara and dick getting married or something like that or or if you know if kate came married her girlfriend or something like that there probably right. would have been i think less of an angry backlash well, well what ifing it how about if Instead of Bane having Holly go and this like incredibly thin saying just the right thing to to sort of backdoor convince Catwoman to call off the wedding. Yeah. How about if Bane had replaced the priest with someone who's not really a priest mm-hmm. and they're not really married, but there was a wedding ceremony. Oh God. You, I am having this- I am having so many Green flash- Black Canary. Oh God! Yeah. Before Norton jumped on. Not right? e- not even or, that. Or Ra- Raven Raven or uh, when Dick and Corey try to get married and Raven murdered the priest before raping Starfire. No, no 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 hold on hold on I got I be- I got you both got beat I got you both beat Lois and Clark the real adventures of Superman when when Lois was replaced <laughs> oh. by a freaking doppelganger <laughs> at the wedding. <laughs> Which and the fact that Terry that Terry Hatcher was on the floor walking around as Lois Lane, by the way, absolute dynamite and loved it. Um, awesome. Yeah, that that's that's that makes me happy whenever I see things like that. But yeah, that that, that that's what I'm thinking of when you're talking about that, Bob. Like that that's what I'm, I'm getting flashbacks to freaking uh, you know '98 or whatever with uh, with that wedding. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it just 
it, it rang. And then going to your point about the, the giant, um, you know, pinups that they filled in half the issue with. Well, you know, Tom King is saying, yeah, I wanted to do this as a tribute to Batman and everything like that. But, you know, there's there's commercial reasons for that, too. I, I personally thought if that was on purpose and he like. I, I don't know how much it was Tom King writing a panel saying, okay, this is going to be by Tim Sale and I want it to be XYZ. Or if it was like DC putting out a call to a bunch of random, you know, popular artists and saying, draw some Batman tribute thing. And then they like get them all in and Tom King had a jigsaw puzzle those in to the issue and and make a story it kind of felt like the latter if it yeah. was actually the former and it was actually planned yeah. out then i think there was kind of a poor job done and the other thing i'll say about that is at least for me and i know a lot of people who said that they loved that issue and they loved seeing all the pinups i would have loved seeing all the pinups at the back of the issue um and even maybe just seeing the uh the letter superimposed on them that's fine, but not seeing it where the way the cadence of the story went of two pages of story and then two pinup pages with all this like text all over it. It really was a disjointed feel reading feeling for me. Yeah. When I if, was if you can the issue, like the flow didn't flow very good for me. Uh, yeah. If, if we can read a Joker issue by Grant Morrison, that's all prose. Uh, I think you can just print the letter on two pages from each person, put them back to back, and then put the pinups in later. Like, you know, come on. Um, I like the issue. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I mean, I, I I understand. I think I think Bob makes a great point about how cynical DC was in in like juicing this cow, uh, knowing that the fans are going to get juked out of a wedding. But uh, I think that. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, and, I, and I'm a million percent with Brent too. That like Tom King is enjoying kind of a Scott Snyder status right now, but I don't think his run is like as good as Snyder's was. Oh, um, I, 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 I think it is. It is very hot and cool. I think that like he, he writes he writes bangers like that, like the Elmer Elmer Fudd issue I loved, but like you know war jokes and riddles I didn't like, and you know, whatever. But, uh, I'm kind of mixed, but um, I I personally like the issue, and I wasn't like I wasn't going in there expecting the wedding to be a thousand percent safe because it's comic books. I I'm personally invested in like, why, you know, why did Bane get Thomas Wayne to like, you know, ruin his own son's wedding? Like that to me is actually very interesting. I think that like, uh, the DC stuff and like, you know, how it was marketed and like, you know, kind of the craziness of it is true. But in terms of the issue, I, I wasn't salty. I, I actually, I actually dug it. And this is coming from somebody who's not, you know, kissing K- King's ass, um, uh, all the time as, uh, you guys are now okay. Uh, as, as some of the people might be. So, all right. So, per- personally, for me, I mean, I, I'm I'm still way behind on, on Batman, but I've I've been enjoying what I've been reading of of King's run, and I feel like as a writer, he jives with my personal flavor a little bit more than than Snyder does. Um, I know that I dropped off of Snyder's run as it was happening just because I lost interest. And I, I don't know if, if it was just that Court of Owls was going on as long as it was, um, but... I did too. God, I hated the Court of Owls. Yeah. As a concept. Oh. 
Yeah, and it, it became such a integral part of what he was doing that I just lost interest and I stopped reading it. Like when, when I found out that there was going to be a freaking origin story for Batman for the 800th time, I especially just like didn't really care. You know, year zero, I, I had no interest. So I just, I, I gave it up. I was sour, mind you that I was sour on DC very much at the time just because of what they were doing with New 52. So that also contributed to me stopping reading it. But coming back into Rebirth, so far Tom King has been my bag. And I, I think I'm just up to the war of jokes and riddles. Um, and I know that I know some people who really enjoy it, and I know some people who do not. I'm not even just talking about you, Donovan. I said I know that um, from my general, you know, group of people is that some people think it's one of the best Batman stories in the past 15 years, and some people think that it's just okay. Um, I loved it. I I was big on Tom King. I mean, I thought he struggled with his first handful of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally did not, I mean, while I thought I can appreciate the story, I, I think it kind of personally, I didn't like him retconning Bruce Wayne as a suicide survivor. Mm -hmm. Um, that was not my jam, but you know, after that, um, especially up around the swamp thing issue and you know, that area, it's been very, it was very good. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of of what Tom King can do, but um, you know my issue is 100% DC management yeah. at this point with DC Comics. Yeah, why? Well, I know to, that to I, be fair, mm-hmm. to be fair to DC, they're not Marvel with ten different miniseries searching for Wolverine who will never <laughs> appear in them. So I, God, I I've been avoiding a lot of Marvel lately. Um, I, I need to finish uh, Dan Slott's Spider-Man because it has been basically the one series I've been following other than Ms. Marvel uh, out out of their bank. I will be coming back for Fantastic Four because it's Slott. Uh, I have the first issue of Nick Spencer's Amazing Spider-Man run, so I got I to gotta read that once I'm, once I'm caught up with the rest of my Spider-Man. And I know uh, I'm interested in Iron Man and at least two or three other of the, of the series. Definitely... Uh, the Captain America stuff that Ta-Nehisi Coates is coming out with, I'm definitely need to read because uh, oh yeah, Coates is Coates is Coates is very much in my wheelhouse. And uh, Black Bolt, I need to catch up on uh, Exiles. I've been liking so far. Uh, they're mixed stuff, but I'm so you're naming quite a lot of things. I mean, the the thing is, is like both those publishers, they publish ninety books a month or yes, something. Yes, exactly, right? and I count myself as liking a publisher if I like. 15 or 20 of their books. And that's like, yeah. you know, if you, if I like 20% of their output, you know, then, then they're good for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, DC sinking to Marvel's level is not a defense for DC. Definitely. It's yeah. like, just like DC, <laughs> is just like becoming bad. Okay. Sinking <laughs> to like, Marvel's level. Not an in DC's defense. At least they're not doing this squirrely shit that Marvel does. It's like, well, no, <laughs> they are doing this squirrely shit that Marvel does to yeah. pick the pockets of their fans. And right. it's not, it, it shows that they used to have a certain amount of integrity in my mind and they just lost it. Well, let's, 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 let's sing their praises potentially a little bit. Uh, that that we're getting the uh, the three Joker series uh, coming out with uh, Jeff Johns and Jason Fabok. Uh, I could care less than zero on that. That I like I like Fabok, but 
putting it in the DC black label thing is like, you know, hey, guess what, guys? Those are all premiere format issues. So they're not going to be $3.99, $2.99, for a hardback, or not hardback, but square back spine each issue. So you're going to get maybe 32 pages, 25 if you're lucky, Jason Fabok art for twice the price. And because it's Jeff Johns and Jason Fabok and three Jokers, everybody's automatically going to buy it. I'm yeah. I smelled the raw as soon as they announced that part of DC Black Label. I was like, hey, wait, <laughs> what a great way to charge us twice the price for an issue you knew you were going to sell like gangbusters anyway. Yeah, agreed. It's absolutely ridiculous. hundred percent agree. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait for the freaking tra- uh, for the trade, and I'm going to wait for a sale on Comicsology, and I'm going to buy that shit. That's what I'm going to do because because I know it's coming. You know, like even if I got to wait a couple of months, eventually there's going to be a, uh, a, a you know some sale of some sort, or I'll buy I'll get it from my library. Like there's so many other ways of reading it at this point for me that I don't have to pay there. I- I think fee. that's that's wise, Ian, and that's that's kind of like the way I'm going with DC in general at this point. Is yeah. I stopped ordering DC on my monthly order mm-hmm. entirely. Yeah, and I'll just, you know, there are plenty of uh, con sales and you know dollar bins. It's like a lot of this stuff ends up in dollar bins. Oh, definitely. I tell you, yeah, you know, it's just like they order this stuff crazy and you know the other thing will be is if it's like really popular and it really does end up being really well regarded Mm -hmm. then i'd rather almost have a nice hardcover on it anyway you know yeah that ultimately is going to cost less than what you would have paid on an issue by issue basis yeah for a nicer package i'm a continuity nerd slash you know time travel slash multiverse type of guy so this is right up my alley. Like, I want to know how the hell they're going to actually work this and say how how three of them have existed throughout this current iteration of the DC Universe. I'm very intrigued on that, but I can also wait. <laughs> Do you know, have you, have you been hot on the metal stuff? Metal Snyder's Justice League. Um, I, I'm I'm behind on that too, man. Uh, to be honest, but I I, I I did enjoy the event of Metal. Yes, uh, that I that I enjoyed a lot. Um, I, I need to reread Metal because I didn't quite understand it. But Snyder's Justice League is, it's like reading Morrison's. Uh, I don't know Morrison's Justice League oh. in a bad way. Oh, in a bad way. Yeah. See, see, you. Ha- thank you for for burying the lead there because i was about Sorry. to go oh, oh oh it's like morrison's justice league great oh well it's like way, huh? it's like grant morrison's <laughs> justice league if you were to do it today and it's all about the music crap um <laughs> that kind of like con- weird concept stuff like i'm enjoying it i really enjoy uh jorge jimenez on art jim chung popped in for the first issue thanks jim chung go back to covers um jorge jimenez <laughs> is the real star of that book I'm sorry, and uh, but yeah, it's I don't know. I have to reread it. It's hard to follow issue to issue. I think. Well, I will definitely. And give Snyder a shot. used to be one of those guys that you could follow issue to issue. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, uh, I forget. Is Capullo on art with that, or is that Coy Powell? Uh, Justice League. Yeah, Justice League. Yeah. Neither. Neither. Okay. Yeah, Jim Chung did issue one okay. in the covers. Oh, Jim Chung. That's for what I'm cover for okay. issue one. Got it. And then uh, he did a pretty good job, but it's still Jim Chung. Like so, everybody's got a square face. Let me for you DC fans. I mean, what what do you guys think about 
the creative revolving door at DC mm. on artists. I mean, it drives me nuts that you can't yeah. have an artist on a book for more than like three issues in a row. Then this is action comics. Every single fucking issue. It was, it was, uh, it was like Arthur, Ad- not Arthur, Ad- it was, it was, um, uh, yeah, Man of Steel. Uh, Man of Steel. That was, Man of that Steel was, was, was meant, yeah. they did it weekly and there's no way that, you know, anyone could do every issue. Right. Uh, I mean, but just their normal bi-weekly books. I mean, you can't have, you know, artists can't draw two books a month. So it's like you get two or three issues from somebody and then it switches. And they're not even curating it like Marvel did with, you know, like with Daredevil, where you'd kind of switch between Samney and Marcos Martin. And, Mm -hmm. you know, some of these guys who had like a a very complimentary art style. It just seems like DC isn't caring that much about that. (laughs) I, and it's just I, like I, you get these random artists every few issues that don't really, in my mind, mesh too well together. I don't know. I think I think on Hal Jordan and the Green Lanterns, since the book launched, I don't know, maybe less so right now, but um, Rafa Sandoval has been killing it on that book, and he's been rotating with everybody's favorite uh, Indiegogo cyberfog uh, curator, Ethan Van Skyver. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, yes. But I mean, their art styles do clash. But Rafa Sandoval, I think, and has been on that book from like issue, from the get go, uh, rotating with him. So I think he's done a great job. The Green Lanterns book with um, Simon Baz and Jessica has been pretty consistent on art. Uh, Robson Roca did a whole bunch of that before um, Dan Jurgens just took over the book. I thought that was pretty strong. I haven't seen many that were like. Glaringly obvious. Yeah, Jer- I, mean, Jer- I enjoyed Superman both the Green Lanterns ones. Jer- Jergen Superman had some pretty consistent art, even if it was different artists. Uh, it was still mainly the same s- basic style from issue to issue uh, for the most part. Uh, the- yeah, like the Bogdan- Bogdan- Bogdanovic guy mm-hmm. jumped on for the the Reborn arc for yeah. like four issues for the Mr. Oz well, stuff. It's gotten better is what you guys I mean. Because I, I came on after Rebirth for a while, and I came back off again like fairly quickly. Fair enough. I, I think I think Batman is the biggest the Batman the main bat the Tom King Batman title is the biggest uh criminal one of that with the of the art styles not matching each other, I think. Every Play other Man? book has done a pretty good job. Okay. I think that I would I personally would be happier if DC were to remember what they did during fifty two a little bit more and get artists that have the complementary styles that even if you even if you're going to rush these issues because a lot of these issues were double monthly shipping and you can only keep that up so far with the artists um just at least i you know going with what bob said like have artists that that play off of each other really well to the point where when you're reading it even as a collection you're barely even noticing that there's been a shift and yes i know that each artist is going to have their own individual style i'm not saying don't have that i'm just saying hire some artists that are at least complementary you know that's maybe it. they have gotten their feet under them i mean i i remember back at the beginning of rebirth some of the things that stick in my mind was there are some issues and i'll use your greenland hal jordan and the green lantern Corps as an example um, like I think the third issue of one of those artists runs before it switched to another artist, that third issue had like four different artists on it. Yeah. yeah the, the first artist couldn't like get his shit together to get the third issue out. And they just like brought a bunch of random dudes in to, 
you know, help get that issue out the door. And it just, you know, if you can't, why do you have to put those things out twice a month if you can't get your production lined up to be able to produce the things? I mean, I know why, because you want to make just a lot of money off of it from the fans, but I just as soon get once a month three ninety nine book, and now you're getting twice a month three ninety nine books because the holding line at two ninety nine went out the window recently, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, now, it did. You just, now you're paying eight dollars a month for these biweekly books, but they're you know they're what though the the, the the biweekly books are the ones honestly the ones from Rebirth that I bought only because they were two ninety nine and they were biweekly, so I knew that I was going to get something sooner rather than later. And like the Detective Comics run by T- uh, James Tynan the Fourth was fantastic, bringing uh, As back Asriel back, love that. Um, the Green Lantern books were were really good for a long time, both of them. Um, what else was I picking up? The Superman and Action Comics were both really good. Recommend those. But the Flash was the only the only other standout to me of those like bi monthly books. Um, I thought that the what's his name Josh Williamson's writing Flash mm-hmm. still for fifty plus issues really really strong. Like I think this is going to be you know this is better than. I haven't read the entire John's run, but this is going to, I think, come up as the next big run that people are going to talk about on Flash. Like, they talk Wade, they talk John's, they're going to talk Williamson when this is done. Well, I, I'm I'm personally very happy to see uh, who's back uh, in the in the Flash books. Uh, and, I mean, I know that uh, it, you know, it might be a spoiler to some, but not to others. They did bring uh, Impulse back into the title. Uh, yes, he's de-aged, but that does make sense with the, uh, you know, the seven years of missing time from DC. So, you know, he's first showing up now as opposed to, you know, already being an established character. But yeah, Bart's back, and I, I want to see what they're going to do with the character, um, whether or not they're going to use him in, uh, you know, uh, Teen Titans or, or hell, if they bring... Connor Kent back if they bring you know Connell back at some point then I'm a 100% happy capper but I know I can't win well they've got to because um Tim still remembers him right but Titans tomorrow yeah yeah and where's Cassie at this point Cassie's somewhere um I don't think she's really been seen since since their new 52 Teen Titans stuff so I I have no idea where she's hanging out and who among us has read that yeah exactly right Uh, that that God, that Red Robin outfit was horrible. Yep. <laughs> Bunker. Yep. Yeah. Uh, no, I, oh. I'm not sure where she is right now. Before we move off of like like DC, if, if that's where we're going, like, yeah. uh, uh, do you guys know about Sanctuary? No. It's well, <laughs> it's the big like DC event they're doing, and it's Tom King. Oh and, yeah. Oh, this thing. Okay. You mean the crisis? <laughs> high, the, the crisis Gee, level thing. Sounds like Vanishing Point. Heroes in Crisis. Uh, actually, actually, I think that was oh, that's a Crisis of Time was Zero Hour. <laughs> uh, so at Comic Con, uh, the press were invited for like a, a breakfast press event um, on a yacht behind uh, the convention, uh, and, and it was pretty cool. Like, like I went, I went, and they, they gave us like a DC robes and stuff, and they fed us like fruit and like it's kind of this kind of sort of spa thing, and everyone was dressed in white. Uh, like like Tom King was dressed in white. He kind of sat at the front like he was Gandhi, and Clay Mann and his inker who just won an Eisner. I forgot the guy's name. It's like Mitch something. But they were like they had like these like eyes wide shut masks. At, they were flanking his two sides and kind of. It was an interesting setup um, where it was all about. This is a story kind of about like um, 
dealing with like uh, mental and emotional trauma. And he talked about his time in the CIA and kind of his personal things and what kind of fuels this story about how, uh, uh, I guess apparently somewhere, some, you know, an untold story was this Trinity had made this sort of like superhero uh, sort of rejuvenation spa that gets attacked by villains. And that's the story behind it. Um, I really didn't hear about too much about it until that press room or the press event. Mm-hmm. It's all but, um, over the, the news sites. I, I heard about it about a month ago. Yeah, I think I heard, I've seen the artwork, but like uh, they had know, the whole I'm, premise of it and everything. I mean, it was. I mean, I didn't see anything about it at con, but um, you know, it's been going on. It's secret. You know, people aren't supposed to know about it. Yeah, they don't yeah. keep any records. You know, so someone can go there and they, no one's going to know that they went there for their mental trauma. But now, ooh, guess what? Somebody's getting a hold of it. <laughs> I'm not so salty, but I, I mean, I, 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 they're going to be killing off like a dozen heroes that I'm not happy about. I don't know who, but um, You're killing it, a dozen. Did, did really? you make uh, did you make the little air quote uh, signs with your fingers when you said killing off? Uh, <laughs> my mind did. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the DC did put out a thing on, on online where it was like, you know, which one of these heroes will die. Um, so you just kind of rolled your eyes at that. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know. It, it was it, it was interesting because. I think Tom King and Scott Snyder are similar in a lot of ways. I, I feel that he kind of has this sort of, at least in the way he speaks about it, a lot a real kind of emotional earnestness, even if the stories kind of come off not quite hitting the mark. Um, but uh, he, he, he said that this thing, is, it's not going to be like a world-ending thing. It's going to be kind of a more of a personal, I guess, identity crisis kind of thing. Um, and because of the, the, the very bizarre kinky setup, they, they had to kind of promote it. It was something that I, I'm mean, keeping my eye on, but like, uh, you know, I mean, you know, events are, you know, uh, I think it's rare for an event to be actually great as opposed. Like, I, I was never going to read DC Metal because um, it was just too strange. But like, um, the premise is interesting. I think even if you know it, it is kind of like uh, untolds this, and you know, characters die that. But I, I thought the premise was at least uh, uh, curious. I suppose. I think it'll be the number one book the month that it comes out. Yeah, I think so too. I think. I mean, especially if it if it has the you know crisis level vibe that that I think it's, yeah, it's going got, to. It's got the Trinity involved. Tom King's writing. They yeah. got top artists. You yeah. know, it's it's intriguing. I mean, they're going to sell the hell out of it. Yeah, they know how to sell. They, <laughs> no one ever. No one will ever. You be, will you be reading? Not Bob? knowing how to sell to their to their audience. Yeah, I'm not buying it. <laughs> yeah, you sound like you're there. very hands off from a distance. I'm not their audience anymore. I mean, I I look at it as they are writing stuff that is not for me. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's actually a good thing that they're not writing stuff that appeals to me. What was your jumping off point? Um, Batman 50. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That was the last. I, I totally closed the door on making any purchases from DC on my DCBS order. When I read the end of Batman Fifty, wow! Yeah, that's, uh, that, that, that's so you were the one that, that made him get a, a bodyguard by sending him death threats. No, 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 no. I don't know. I don't begrudge Tom King at all. <laughs> yeah, to me, it's not the creators at all. My issue is no, it's, it's 100% the higher ups. Yeah, DC management. Yeah, yep. Which, mind you, I mean, I've been, I mean, I've been saying that on this show for for years now. Um, I've never really. I've never exactly been the biggest Dan DiDio fan, to say the least. Um, 
and uh, now we're at a, at an impasse where Jeff Johns is no longer day to day on the comics side either. Um, even though he's more involved as a writer, but you know, I knew that that was coming just because he's a creative man at heart. Um, he he was he was never he was never going to be at that position for forever. And now Jim Lee uh, is basically taking over his day to day work uh, as well. And that could be a good thing, or it could be a not so good thing. Uh, we're going to have to wait I, and see. I think they do a lot of good stuff. I mean, it's just to me. I get to a point where, and this has happened over the years, right? I mean, I've been reading comics for longer than any of you guys have been alive. And (laughs) just it cycles with the big companies that at a certain point, I've just had enough of their bullshit and I have to step away from them for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of refresh it. And I've done it with DC before. I've done it with Marvel before. Mm -hmm. And it's just I'm I'm at a point where it's like, you know, if I just stop reading DC for two or three years, maybe I can come back with a fresh feeling. That was that was me with New 52. Absolutely. That was me with Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, it's just I I had that same thing with Spider-Man when uh, the Clone Saga came out in the 90s. I had the same thing (laughs) again when the Straczynski had... uh, his thing where, you know, Gwen Stacy had been banging Norman Osborn and had a couple of illegitimate, <laughs> oh you know, like cryogenic God. kids or some nonsense. Ugh. And Ugh. Peter Parker had like weird spines coming out of his arms. And I want to, th- I want to, th- I want to thank you. I want to thank you for reminding me. I want to thank you for reminding me that that existed, Bob, because I, yeah, completely... sorry about that. <laughs> God, that era was bad. <laughs> but, you know, and then I come back a few years later and it's like, I enjoy it again. So, sure. you know, it's just, it's one of the, and I think for right now, DC has a lot of great stuff on television and I can get like my DC fix. I like watch the flash and I watch legends of tomorrow and arrow and stuff. And it's like, I enjoy that stuff. I, I can kind of understand why a lot of TV fans don't feel the need to read a comic book, you know? Yeah. So I get my yeah. fix from that. I don't really need to pick up the books. Yep, basically. Yeah, we, 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 um, uh, on the show that I did, we, we had an episode about kind of like, like the whole fandom, uh, the, uh, the fandom entitlement as a topic discussion. Cause you know, with the whole star Wars backlash continuing and continuing, continuing. And one of the things I kind of reached conclusion was is that like, it's, it is a cycle. It is a time where like, you know, we're gonna like something, then then we're gonna to have to step away, like 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 Ian did with the New Fifty Two, and like when, and when you did with the Clone Saga, like uh, it you know, the DC movies were bad, then Wonder Woman was pretty good, and Aquaman and Shazam was pretty good. Like it is going to be and it kind of an ebb and flow thing. And I think uh, you reach a certain age in the game where you realize it's not like it's all it's over and done with. It's just a cycle of maybe maybe some other time. I think what it is is if once you read these things for a certain period of time, you start, at least for me, I start seeing, I have too much inside baseball kind of, you know, knowledge of some of this stuff. I start seeing the man behind the curtain and it gets on my nerves. And then the other thing is, it's like you just see the repeated tropes and it's just, they're not fresh anymore. Whereas I don't have a problem with them because for someone who's new to reading this stuff, this is all exciting and, and cool. You know, it's just like they haven't seen the same thing six times already. 
you know, so it's it's still a fresh story. You know, the, the and the craft is there. I mean, DC has a tremendous amount of talented writers and artists right. working there, and they've they're putting out a lot of really good material. It's just you know, it doesn't necessarily rock my world, but it doesn't mean that it's bad. You know, I I at least I I hope and I I try really hard to not say that something I don't like is bad. I just try to say it's just not something that's my cup of tea right now, but I I try to recognize that there's uh, you know a certain amount of uh, artistic craft that went into its production whether I liked it or not. Oh, always. Yeah. I, I and and I mean same same thing with like, you know, even if, even when I do step away from uh, from a, a publisher, there's there's always I'd say maybe two or three books that I still keep track of because there's always going to be at least something from a publisher that catches my eye or catches my interest, even if I get pissed off. And that's kind of part of of being a comics reader is that you just need to just read and buy what you enjoy and what you like, because there's no, everybody's, everybody's got busy lives. There's no reason to read stuff you're not enjoying, you know, like, like, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to buy it for the sake of buying it. I'm past that part in my life. I mean, I've gone almost entirely digital to avoid that. And, you know, even when I do buy stuff digitally, it's stuff that I actually really want to read because I'm still spending my money on it. And it's that simple. Or Brent spending his money on it. I'm reading his books. So there you go. One way or the other. <laughs> Hurrah. Hurrah. All right, let's let's try to wrap this up here. I think we're gonna do Ant Man and the Wasp in another episode, uh, pro- probably with Brandon on it, just because we're uh, we're running a little uh, low on time here, and we've uh, had a very good conversation about everything else on this episode. And I really don't want to rush that movie one way or the other, so uh, no big deal on waiting for that. Uh, I, I actually am I'm kind of curious uh, if you guys bought anything while you were at the con, uh, just because uh, you know swag is indeed part of the deal. I know Bobby were probably on the floor more than uh, than Donovan was, but uh, what'd you what'd you come home with? I, I actually didn't spend that much time on the floor this time. Um, I, I did go to uh, there was a dinner with Joe Jusco on Friday, mm-hmm. uh, hosted by IDW oh, cool. at the Brazilian steakhouse called Fogo de Chao, mm-hmm. and um, as part of that, we got a limited edition of Joe's Marvel Masterpieces hardcover. Oh, wow. That just came out, you know, so like the, they only made like 28 of the the edition that we got, and it's got like this gold stamp inside, and Joe inscribed it. And then he also did an 11 by 17 commission for us, a full ink commission. Um, Mine, I got Doctor Strange. It's got a really cool kind of Ditko-y background on it. Very Um, nice. And, you know, that was my major purchase of the con. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I I got like some, I got like a Judge Dredd badge that um, one of the booths was selling that was pretty cool, kind of half size, but it's pretty big. And I got, you know, some trades of some of the British comics that, that we were talking about. I got, I picked up some uh, um, kind of just things from, indie creators and and stuff like that and um not i didn't really do a lot of um hardcore back issue buying um because it was quite expensive for the joe jusco thing so uh 
it just kind of that was where my that was my major purchase for the con. Very cool, very cool. Donovan, what about you? Uh, I got. Uh, did you guys know about that Kickstarter comic Bingo Love? It was yep. a yeah, it was a comic about these like like uh, two women who fell in love. These two black women who fell in love in the sixties and uh, throughout their life, you know, kind of going get, getting apart and get back together. Like, I got that at the Image booth for ten bucks. Um, and I, and I read it. I read, yeah, I was glad. I was, I was glad I got it because I was I, I was had a, I was on a budget this this year. Um, and I read it on the plane trip home. It's fine. I was actually kind of. I I thought it could have been better. Um, I got. Batman Earth One because I thought I had it, but I, I guess I guess I didn't. Um, I also got a, the Flash Companion from Tomorrow's, uh, which is really cool. I, I, I like Tomorrow. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Tomorrow's stuff. They had a good movies. sale. Was that on sale or was that one of the regular ones? It was on sale. Um, I mean, because especially on, I got it on Sunday. I forget what I got it for. Uh, but they, I mean, they, I've, I already have like the Batcave companion, like the Titans companion, and some of their um, Modern Masters stuff. So I was flipping through it, and, and it, you know, it gets into like uh, the original, you know, when Iris was killed and the trial of Barry Allen and all kind of stuff. So I want to check this this shit out. Um, so I got that and a copy of um, I think they have the Creators Magazine or about the ghosts of Bob Kane. Um, yeah, and, and their booth. I just to interject there, I I actually did pick up. They had a hardcover of. Uh, the definitive Will Eisner and uh, mm. a spotlight on Don Heck. Um, oh, that cool. were both hardcovers that I think were originally like forty or fifty dollars. They had on sale for ten bucks a piece. So I I grabbed those on uh, Wednesday night. Yeah, I, I love I love their stuff. Um, uh, it's all the kind of the comic history stuff is great. I wish I had more money to get more like, like logo shirts because I love those. Um, uh, but once you see, you know, enough anime shirts by the hentai booth, you've seen them all. So I kind of ran out of ones to get. Uh, that may have been it, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, think that, I think that was it. I did not, I did not have um, $750,000 to buy, you know, Sensational Comics number one or anything like that. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I, and, and I was not at the con, obviously, but I did make one comic book purchase recently uh for the uh, amazon prime day the one deal that i that i went with is that uh, you could save five dollars on uh, on a book purchase of uh, 20 dollars or more and uh, i had a about 13 dollars worth of a gift card left as well so i went ahead and bought myself the last volume of the invincible ultimate collection volume 12 so i now have a full collection of 1 to 12 of invincible on my shelf and uh, I got to finish volume 11, and I'll go ahead and tackle volume 12 and be sad that it's over. But also... That was a great series. Yeah. One of my favorites of all time. Definitely. Invincible is very high up there on the chart for me. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the Amazon series is going to be like. Uh, I'm glad that they're going uh, uh, animated for that. Oh, I didn't hear that they were doing that. That's cool. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, Kirkman's going to write the pilot. And I believe from there, it's going to be others involved with it, uh, for the most part, with him doing uh, creative consulting on the project. But, uh, yeah. I wonder and, how violent that's. I mean, because there are some pretty violent issues. Oh, of, uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think I think the entire reason that they're doing animated is so that they can get the the large scope and feel of the comic right 
while at the same time also being as violent and, you know, obscene as the comic can be at times. Um, and I have to worry about that in, in you know, with, with real actors. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it turns out. I'll be curious how you like the, I mean, I was really happy with the way Kirkman ended it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll be curious to see how another invincible fan like yourself uh, likes when you get to the end, when I'm, you get to the end. I'm well. sure I'm going to, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. I, I, from where they're, from where they've been heading, I'm, 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 uh, I think six issues into volume 11 right now where they've been heading. It seems like they're actually heading to a conclusion that I, I would be thrilled with. So Here's hoping I'm going to cross my fingers because I've been burned before uh, on on endings of uh, of books that I've really enjoyed until the end. But I I I have more faith in Kirkman about that than I do with some others. So yeah, we shall see. All right, guys, I think that's just about it. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, uh, Baba, where can people find you on the internet these days? Um, mostly Comic Spectrum. Uh, so www.comicspectrum.com all one word or on Facebook I'm also Comic Spectrum and I tend to probably on Facebook Comic Spectrum I'm a little more interactive I have been slacking off and I need to get back on (laughs) writing reviews and putting more content up on the website Um, but uh, Facebook you can find me there very cool and uh, Donovan uh, where can they find you? Uh, QNoAnswers.com uh, where I do my podcast questions we don't have answers um, as advertised I was also, I'm also commit, uh, contribute content on the BatmanUniverse.net uh, and you can also find me on Twitter very cool what's your uh, what's your Twitter handle again oh yeah uh, DonoDMG1 nice nice and uh, Casina, uh, give him the uh, the BK's bullets YouTube and whatnot. Uh, what, what have you been What have you been up to lately? Traveling and doing uh, BK's bullets videos and doing videos for uh, my buddy Jim's channel on video games. Nice, nice. Uh, what's What's the latest uh, video game one you do? You guys did? Um, <clears throat> well, I got a PS4, so I was playing through. Yeah, Uncharted one, two, and three, and then I played God of War three remastered. So nice. So as far as I got, very cool, very cool. Uh, I actually was recently, uh, probably right around the time this episode's coming out, I was recently on the uh, Watchmen Minute podcast. Uh, so uh, if ever, if anybody wants to check me out, uh, I am minutes one sixteen through one eighteen. They basically go through the Watchmen movie minute by minute. And give it a uh, a nice breakdown uh, as the movie goes forward. Uh, you can find that over at WatchmanMinute.Libson.com, and uh, it's also you know all over the place and other places. And I wanted to send out my congratulations to uh, Leroy, uh, friend of the show, aka Ziggo, on his recent nuptials. He got married uh, this past weekend in a Doctor Doctor Who-themed wedding, and uh, it looked adorable, and uh, everything went well for him there. So much congratulations to to Ziggo, and uh, and here's to many years of happiness on his end. Absolutely. Congratulations. Yes, indeed. All right, guys, uh, I think that's just about it. Uh, Bob, uh, thanks for joining us, man, and uh, hope to have you back on sooner than later. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me, guys. It was good to have a... I kind of miss podcasting right now and again. I don't, I don't miss the weekly grind that I did for a really long time. But uh, I do, I do like 
chatting on uh, on the topic. So well, we'll definitely keep that in mind for the future. And uh, and and Donovan, uh, good to have you on again. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's always fun. All right, no problem. And uh, and Brent, good night. <laughs> if you ever do an image or indie themed one. <laughs> oh, we'll we'll, we'll definitely we'll definitely keep you informed. Yeah, definitely. I I, I, I read more. Out of I read about 110 comics a month, and like 25 of those are Marvel and DC. So nice, nice. you kind of see the uh, the breakdown there. Oh yeah, no. I, 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 Please I, tell me you read Savage Dragon. I do not. Oh, <laughs> I I don't need to read like if I'm going to read a superhero book, I'll read a Marvel book pretty much, except with the exception of Invincible, and now it's over. <laughs> All right. And uh, the email address, as a reminder, is uh, comictiming at gmail.com. And you can find us over at facebook.com slash comictiming. Uh, I'm at, uh, at I underscore M underscore sci-fi on Twitter and Instagram and eha-ds9 on Tumblr as well. And we're probably members of the Comics Podcast Network over comicspodcast.com and the League of Comic Book Podcasts over comicbooknoise.com slash league. So for Brent and for Donovan and for Bob and for me, this is Steve Levinson reminding everybody out there that there's always time for comics. Hashtag fuck Batman. Fuck Batman. <laughs> <laughs>